usted está escuchando a la guía de los caballeros de cine de medianoche con Big Willy, Gruber y el Pico Love, llevando clase a la basura desde 1977. of the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. This is episode 89. I am Large William, and across the border from me are my two very good friends, Pickleloaf and Rupert Pupkin. Good morning, evening, I guess, whatever it is for you. <laughs> Hello. Yes, and for us, it's it's very early in the morning, and for us uh, on Pacific time, it's even earlier in the morning. <laughs> Still dark outside, I imagine. It oh, is yeah. indeed. I can imagine it would be. So uh, this week uh, we have two, as we always say on this show, two very different films uh, <laughs> in two very different countries. Um, first up, I guess, would be uh, Roop's Pick, which is Deadly Ice, a film from Robert Klaus from 1982. It's a, a killer rat movie. And uh, secondly was Alex's Pick, one from Mexico. It's uh, Intrepidos Punks which is a really trashy, sleazy uh, biker movie from 1980. Well, so, we, uh, we, so IMDb says. There's a, I think there's a question about when that one actually came out. Why? Well, when would you uh, believe it? Oh, I don't I guess know. It, I think it was filmed sometime in the 70s. I think it may have been released somewhere in 1980, but I know they had problems <clears> with censorship and stuff in Mexico, and I don't think it even got released until the mid-80s in Mexico like on a lot broader scale. And the same for the sequel. The sequel like didn't even come out until the nineties, even though it was, you know, filmed almost immediately afterwards. But anyway, we'll get into that. We can get into that more. Yeah, yeah, no, we'll, we'll definitely uh, get into that. Um, so, uh, with that being said, let's get into what we've all been watching. So, I think Alex held court uh, first last time. Let's see what you've been watching, Roop. Okay, um, I have. Uh, let's see here. What did we start with? Uh, I left off with. Okay, um, I caught a documentary on hulu called um high score uh, which was one of i think <clears throat> three or four that came out around the time king of kong came out i think this was a little after king of kong um uh, which i'm a huge fan of obviously um but uh let's see there was also chasing ghosts and there was one more i can't think of but this one was not very good unfortunately it was just about a guy trying to beat the missile command record and i didn't particularly I don't know, the guy who seemed like a nice enough dude, but, like, the, the the movie sets this thing up where he keeps, the machine that he's using to do the Missile Command record keeps resetting, and so it kind of is, like, progressively dealing with how he deals with the frustration of having, you know, getting all set to do the record and then having the machine reset, you know, and he tries to sort of play it off like it doesn't bother him, but, you know, it's pretty devastating, I think, to the guy, and, and at a certain point it is for the viewer, too, it's just kind of like... I can't really watch this anymore. It's not that interesting, and it's just horrible to watch this guy keep keep failing, you know. So um, <laughs> have you guys seen? Anyway. Have you guys seen the? Um, do you ever guys uh, ever watch Chuck? I no. I 
I saw that episode with the um, the missile command episode. That's, that's yeah. what I just started thinking of. Yeah, yeah, I, that was that's one of I haven't seen enough Chuck. I have a, a coworker of mine that's a huge Chuck fan, and, and he says it's great. And what I've seen, I've really liked. I just haven't gotten around to getting yeah. into it. But that episode I did see, and I thought was really interesting. Um, after that, uh, wife and I watched Shutter Island uh, on DVD finally, and uh, I really dug it a lot. Um, I think it's going to be – it'll definitely be one that will re- reward repeat viewings, but um, I, I really, really liked it. I thought it was – I recommend it to everybody. Um, I think people should – have you guys seen it, just out of curiosity? Yeah, I saw it in the theater. I thought it was really good. Yeah, yeah I also uh, went to see it in theaters. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I don't think it's a masterpiece, but I've heard from a lot of people that on repeat viewings it, uh, it seems to be strengthened. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's part of it. <clears throat> Um, I watched uh, Slumber Party Massacre, nice. uh, which I hadn't seen, I don't think, um, <clears throat> which was good. Um, pretty solid stuff. Uh, I watched uh, Teenage Hitchhikers, which just came out from Code Red, uh, which I know Tarantino was a fan of and played at one of his Austin festivals, his QT, QT Fest. And that was pretty good, too. <clears throat> um, was going to watch um, Mr. Mom... Uh, on Friday night, but my DVR screwed up and couldn't record it. It was going to be on MGM HD, so we swapped out uh, Summer School instead with Mark Harmon, which uh, <laughs> I've seen a bunch, but you know holds up pretty well. Although my wife and I noticed there's a couple like after school kind of moments in it, like after school specials. Like oh yeah, yeah. There's like there's one particular line de- delivery, <laughs> and not that I encourage you know underage drinking, but. <clears throat> there's a moment where I think I think it's um, Dean Cameron wants to borrow um, I think Mark Harmon's car and he's like chainsaw you've been drinking you know in this way that's just like <laughs> really cheesy um, it's like, and there's a it's like of- <laughs> so I didn't joke have you ever seen that there was that episode of 90210 that was spoofed pretty pretty brilliantly on SNL when uh, <laughs> there was the thing where I don't know Steve Sanders was drunk and couldn't drive his Corvette and Jason Priestley's character system, give me the keys, man. And then they did this episode where Priestley hosted us and I was like everyone, even if they were like, it was like his mother coming home from work. He's like, give me the keys. <laughs> it, it was pretty good, man. It was that pretty good. Awesome. Sorry to interrupt it. It made me think of that. <laughs> that is really awesome, actually. Um, so then um, I took my son on Saturday to see The Last Airbender, as he had requested it, um, which I... I cannot recommend it all, of course. Um, I don't know. I mean, not to bash Shyamalan too too much, but I, I took a I took a what I call the Shyamalan nap during the movie. Uh, I I was a little got a little little tired because it, it just it doesn't um, it's just I don't the guy he can't direct actors and he chooses inexperienced actors in this case and that's just not a particularly good combination. I really thought I mean I don't know how much money it made this weekend. I should look that up. Um, but, uh, I don't know what to say about that guy. I, it's, it's really kind of a sad thing because he showed a lot of promise early on. And now I think he's gotten to the point where he maybe doesn't believe people when they tell him it's a bad idea or he's, you know, he's off base or if he doesn't even have people around that tell him that. So it's too bad. <clears throat> it did, it did 40.5 million over the weekend. Wow. Good money. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. It was it number one or two or two after twilight. Twilight, Gosh, which made six Yeah, well, that's not bad. I mean, that's what I figured. A kids' movie it had to make a little money, but yeah, 
Um, I will say this, a spoiler alert, um, they, they definitely set up the sequel in, in this movie, um, maybe multiple sequels. Of course so, they do. Yeah. Have you watched the, the animated series at all? I've seen a little bit. My, my son's a, a big fan of it, and, uh, and he, he likes it a lot. So, but he was, he, was, he was taking issue with some of the pronunciations in the movie. He got really irritated. <laughs> they changed some of the name pronunciations. He's like, that's not right. They're like, yeah, it's okay, bud. It's all right. Um, uh, I showed my son Batman, the original um, Tim Burton movie. Um, nice. And he dug that. Um, <clears throat> and then inspired by um, my wife running into Matthew Modine at a coffee shop. No, it was a – I think it was a vegan restaurant. I can't remember. Um, and getting pictures with my daughter. Uh, we watched uh, Birdie. showed my wife Birdie. Um, which which holds up well. I, I think that's a really great um, Cage performance and Modine performance. And then, yeah. um, <clears throat> sorry. I was going to say, I saw those pictures. They were really cute. It seems like Modine was a really nice guy. Yeah, my wife said he was just one of the nicest people or celebrities she, he's, she's ever met. Well, just a really nice dude, period. Um, and I just was knocked out by the pictures because it was a total surprise. She didn't tell me what, you know, what she was sending me. And I was like, is that... Fucking Matthew Modine? <laughs> That's crazy. Um, so then we watched um, The Crazies just yesterday, the remake, um, which was pretty good. Not great. Um, about a 6, 7, 5 out of 10 for me. Um, you know, pretty predictable. It was funny. Like, it had, like, a lot of those moments where you're, like, the, the camera is set up in a certain way or you've just seen the story enough that you're, like, I think this is going to happen. And I would sort of call it out and then it would kind of thing. So... That's kind of a bummer when you can call it too easily. Um, that's that's the problem. Sometimes they, they just completely telegraph it for you when a character's looking around and they just bring it in the camera in really tight in front of them and you know when they pull out, it's there's going to be something behind them. It's like, come on. I mean, that trick's been done so many times. Yeah, yeah. They used a couple. <clears throat> if you guys see it, um, have you guys do you seen it? No, no. I've seen the original, but not the new one. Yeah. There's a couple where they'll do just some tricks that you're like, oh, really? Like, You've seen it a bunch, kind of tricks. Um, and then lastly, we watched um, Judgment Night um, was on uh, HDNet Movies, and I DVR'd it and uh, showed my wife. She had never seen it um, or heard of it, for that matter, actually, because there was a period, I think, where she was not <clears> – she was going to school and she wasn't renting movies and whatnot, and uh, so she didn't uh, – it totally slipped under her radar, whereas for me it was one that – I was working at a video store at the time, and I think it was a new release at a certain point, and so <clears throat> I was very aware of it. But that's a good good little movie. I really um, I really enjoyed it. Good cast. Uh, Leary plays a good villain, you know, and it's, used, it's cool. I used to really like that movie, and I loved – I had the soundtrack forever. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was going to say. The soundtrack was really big, I think, amongst – people our age because it was you know they take like a metal group or yeah pop back and you know a couple of the songs worked i mean some of it's just a complete nutter train wreck but yes <laughs> you know but some of them worked the one that they use for like the opening and the closing that fall in song where they have the tom petty sample that song for me still holds up i really oh, really yeah. i think partially because i'm a huge tom petty fan yeah. just hearing that little sample in there and it generally feels like a um oh, who am i thinking of uh three feet high and rising and um, De La Soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Generally, De La Soul was on that soundtrack. Yeah, that might have been might have been them. It might have been them in combination with somebody else on that particular. Yeah, I know they were on there. But anyway, that's all I got uh, for the past week. 
So uh, loaf, do you want to roll? <clears throat> yeah, well, you know, like I said in the middle of the week on Facebook that it didn't look like I was going to hit more than five or six uh, films for the week. I ended up hitting, besides what we watched for the show, 18. Oh, my God. <laughs> Over the weekend, my wife left town um, <clears throat> to go to a um, – uh, so it's called Heavy Rebel. It's a kind of a music festival thing for her burlesque troupe. Nice. And um, so I was here alone with the with the with the pooch. So spent a lot of time <laughs> shamefully on the couch. Um, uh, well, after the show last week, I, wa- I put on Kicking and Screaming, the Noah Bombach one from '95. Um, ended up watching the whole thing. I, I was just planning on falling asleep after the show, show last week, but I really liked it. I had never seen it before, um, and I still haven't. I've seen the um, what is it, the Squid and the Whale. Um, but Kicking and Screaming was really good. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge, huge fan of that movie, by the way. That was one I saw when it came out on video, and that made me a Noah Baumbach fan Yeah, the life. His uh, uh, Greenberg movie came to my theater, and I totally just missed it. I was just drug my feet about going to see it, but I heard it was pretty decent, too. So Yeah, I still need to see that one. I missed it in theaters, too, because of the baby, but um, we're going to rent it when it comes out, for sure. Um, and next I watched uh, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Nice. And I had a lot of fun watching that too. I thought I love um, I love Jeff Bridges, and he was so good. And, and I really liked Clint Eastwood's uh, kind of pissed off comedy when he would <laughs> get so annoyed with uh, Bridges. But I thought that was really good. So yeah, it's uh, a great movie. I watched Youth and Revolt with my wife, the Michael Sarah movie. And unlike a lot of the people in our circle, I'm not sick of Michael Sarah. No, me neither. The music. I'm the getting music, close. Very, uh, I mean, I'm I'm still fine. The the uh, the music. Uh, sorry, the movie was it was okay. It wasn't great. I liked Zach, Zach Galifianakis in it. He plays a <clears throat> really sleazy uh, boyfriend, and the lady from um, uh, Designing Women. I think Gene Delta Burt. Oh, wow. oh my. Gene Smart. Yes. His mom. She's really funny in it too. That's what she's from. I was like, why do I know this woman? That yeah, makes yeah. sense. Um, let's see. I watched uh, I watched uh, Bruno Mattei's Strike Commando. Nice. Unbelievable, <laughs> legendary. There's a lot of um, screaming in the movie, yes. which made me laugh every time. Isn't that like a, a thing that didn't you guys say on the show once that there's always screaming in Mattei movies? Is that how it goes? That, that's why we call Mattei an auteur because it's very clearly a Mattei film. <laughs> you can tell it's a Mattei film because of. The excessive amounts of explosions and the screaming and it just yeah it's uh, it's fantastic it's it's such a good movie we're gonna do a double deuce of part one and two um, of that series I think with Hans uh, oh, nice. cool flame. we've been talking about doing that with him since before we ever did this show because he sent <clears> me <throat> Strike Commando one and two he taped them on VHS for me along oh, with cool. a few other movies when my baby was born. Um, Another Matei you should check out since you're on the Matei topic, uh, Brent Huff, who's in part two. Um, check out Born to Fight. It's awesome. He plays like a Crocodile Dundee type character who's reluctantly brought back into uh, a battle. It's sort of, it sort of plays out like Rambo 4. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, cool it's up, really probably. fun. It's so, he's like, he kind of mumbles motivational like GI stuff under his breath. He's like, can do it. <laughs> and then he'll like shoot up a bunch of guys. I'll probably have that on my uh, on my list next week. Then I'll probably check that yeah, out. It's incredible, man. I love well, Matei, man. 
I would also add, you know, off the the Killer Rat movie thing. He did a Killer Rat movie. I think it's called just called The Rats. I'm not sure. Rats Night of uh, Terror. I have that. Yeah, right. I haven't yeah. watched it yet, but yeah. That's that's pretty. That's it's a little slow going, but it's got a, a pretty killer ending. Um, that's that's totally out there in Mate, and and uh, so I'd recommend that too. Oh, cool. I'll check that one out too. Yeah, that one I've had for a while. So. Um, I watched uh, Jody Hill's The Foot Fist Way, which. I'm a big uh, Eastbound and Down fan, and hadn't seen this one, but I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. It's definitely uh, definitely better than um, the other. What was the other? Observe and report. Observe, yeah. Ugh, I didn't like Observe and Report at all, but Foot This Way I, I had a lot of fun with, and it was kind of it was cool that it was in North Carolina. So mm-hmm. I didn't recognize any of the places. I don't. It wasn't from my neck of the woods, but definitely familiar uh, territory anyway. Um, I watched another one with my wife, Remember Me, the Alan Coulter movie with um, Robert Pattinson. And oh, no. It wasn't bad. Uh, I was okay. going in expecting horrific. Um, Robert Pattinson does not play a vampire, so that's we're safe there. <laughs> Pierce, Pierce, Pierce Brosnan does a really bizarre Brooklyn accent in it. I don't know why they chose him to be the dad. Um, I mean, he did fine, but he sounded really weird speaking – in the New York act with that New York accent, but oh, I mean, God. He, what? I can only imagine. I'm not a big Pierce Brosnan fan other than the matador. I really, really don't like him. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was, he played a strong role. I, I mean, it, what he wasn't in it a ton, but, and Pattison was probably the, the best part of the movie, but I mean, I mean, it was solid, I guess it wasn't great though. I ended up not liking it because of the ending, but I can't really talk about the ending at all without spoiling it. So, I heard that I heard that um, Seraphim Falls, by the way, is a pretty solid um, Pierce Brosnan western. Uh, friend, a friend or two of mine have told me about it. So, yeah, I've heard of it, but his name <clears throat> really has kept me away from it. I, I don't hate him as a person so much. Like, I just I, I don't like him as an actor. I just I don't know, man. He just gets under my skin. I've never seen any of his Bond films. I'm not a big Bond fan anyway, but I don't know, man. What about Remington Steel, dude? What about Remington Steel? Well, that's okay, you know, from my childhood and stuff. I kind of dug the steel, you know, which I guess is kind of similar in a way. Uh, yeah, yeah, what? He was good in the new... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, that's one of the reasons I couldn't take him serious as Bond, is because I'm like, it's fucking Remington Steel, dude. Like, <laughs> he's not being yeah. funny. He was good no, in, the, no, right. in the Ghost Rider, the uh, Polanski movie from this year. Oh, that's Oh, cool. I wanted to see that. I, 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 I forgot all about that one, though. That's a good movie. Um, uh, let's see. I watched uh, W.C. Fields, the the bank dick. Oh, nice! What'd you think? That was funny. I, I didn't like it as much as the one we watched um, before, but the um, uh, I liked the the more alcohol jokes, and I noticed some of the recurring things that you talked about with his funny names. His every, like it even starts like there there's two ladies just reading his mailbox, and it says Egbert Salus on it, and they're like, no, 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 there's an accent on the e. It's Suset. Yeah, it's totally the same bit as as it's and a he, Yeah, and he almost, he almost backhands his kid again, and he's not gonna tell me I don't love her. Like he does that joke again. So, but yeah, I thought that was it was fun. Um, I watched. I'd never seen it before. Um, but when I watched, um, uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm bad with the names this morning. It's Tommy Lee Jones, U.S. Marshals. I, I, I watched U.S. Marshals. I'd never seen it before. It was on TV, wasn't it? I thought I saw that on cable running. Uh, I don't. I don't have cable, so I, I watched okay. it on Netflix. So the, um, I mean, I like I like that Tommy Lee Jones character a lot. The Samuel, the whatever his last name is, Gerard. Um, you know, I, I love the Fugitive back then. <coughs> it was okay. It wasn't great. It was a little long and 
got kind of boring, but yeah, whatever. Um, I watched uh, uh, Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love, which nice. was really good. Um, I'd, a- I'd put that one off for too long, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, watched uh, Chuck Norris in Code of Silence. Uh, That's a good one. <laughs> I love the little the the car, like the armored car thing. That was pretty cool. And the the lady from Herman's Head <laughs> and uh, Henry Silva. The uh, Silva, he plays the Puerto Rican uh, like yeah. head of the crime family, doesn't he? Yeah, he, and his face is looking extra plastic in it. <laughs> oh yeah, by the mid '80s, certainly. Um, but yeah, that one was pretty fun. Um, I watched in the middle of the night. I watched Doug Benson's little documentary, Super High Me, um, about he, where he was smoking pot constantly for a month straight. Um, I mean, yeah, I've seen that one. It kind of made me want to smoke pot, but both of them boring. And uh, and oddly, I finished it at 4:20 a.m. So <laughs> no way. It was. It was. I was totally like half awake and I'm like okay. And then he looked up 4:20. I was like, wow, that's that's funny. So. Um, I watched Scorsese's Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, and I really, I really liked this one. Um, yeah, it's solid. It's really solid. The, um, I had no idea until watching it that the TV show Alice was based on this, <clears throat> which was Oh, wow. Cool. I didn't know it until you said it. Yeah, the, uh, but, like the whole diner, like the even the same actor that plays Mel and Flo, the, er, the first Flo, I think, I think the, I think Flo changed on the show. But I, I think at least the first season or the some of the first season, it was the same actress that played Flo in the movie also. And I don't know if Vera was the same, but for some reason I used to love that show when I was a kid. I'm sure I didn't understand half of it, but I My guess My wife I, loved it. My wife loved it too. I guess I just loved uh, Flo yelling at Mel all the time. <laughs> oh, you got to love Vic Tabak. He's all right. <laughs> um, I watched uh, Peggy Sue Got Married. I haven't seen that one in years. That was a random surfing through Netflix watch. Um it's okay. I mean, you know, I, I liked it more when I was younger, but it's kind of weird that it's a Francis Ford Coppola movie. Like his yeah. turn, his turn in the eighties was just so bizarre to me. Um, and then, uh, while with Alice on the brain, I watched a, uh, I watched Alice, um, from 1988. I think it's a, it was a Czech movie. I don't, I can't, I can't even pronounce oh, the director's S- name. Svankmeyer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah. Really strange. It's like a a, a tool video. <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> like stop. It's the whole thing is stop motion. There's only one actress in it. It's this little girl. Um, I can't remember her name. I can't. Or maybe I can't pronounce her name. But um, and she was the only one that would deliver lines. Like it was like she was reading the book. Whenever a, another character would say a line, it would just be her saying it, and then it would show her mouth, and she would say, "Said the white rabbit." And <laughs> It was bizarre. Uh, like the caterpillar was a sock with dentures, and uh, <laughs> it was it was. I mean, it looked cool, but you know, it got a little old after a while. I thought, but you know, it's worth checking out. I think. Um, I watched. Uh, well, I started a little. Finally, hopefully, going back to writing on my blog, but I started a little theme where I'm counting down to film titles um, with numbers in the title, and so I started with. Uh, and what gave me the idea? I started with this: five dolls for an August moon, the Mario Bava. Um, that one looked really good um, visually, and you know had the hot women and all throughout. But it was a little, it was okay. But and then the other one that gave me the idea is what at the same time I was wanting to watch Four Flies on Grey Velvet, um, the Argento, and 
I really liked that one. Uh, I finished that yesterday, and I had a lot of fun with that one. So I just uh, bought that. I just bought that movie. I've been meaning to see it forever, and I, I'm gonna. Watch, I want to show it to my wife. So it was cool. Yeah, you'll, I think you'll like it. Um, and then, uh, and then, keeping the theme, I watched Three the Hard Way. Um, <laughs> Which they covered on OCC this week, I think. Yeah, they did. Oh, they I saw, did. That's funny. I saw that right when I was watching it, I saw when uh, when I was watching it, OTC put their um, their. How, how was it? I liked it. I liked it. I thought it was um, it, it, it drug a little at parts, but um, it was uh, pretty uh, ridiculous and but fun. So cool. And then uh, I watched. Um, Jean-Pierre Jeannot's Delicatessen. Nice. Um, had not seen that one before, but Mick Max is playing at my theater, so he's kind of been on my radar. And I hope to go see Mick Max this week. But Delicatessen was really cool. Um, I really yeah. like the guy that played uh, <coughs> the clown. I don't remember his name. Um, but he's a, he's a good physical actor, too. I, I've seen him in other French movies. I just can't think of where, but... But yeah, that was it. So, nice. uh, a lot. good week, man. I'm always jealous. Sixteen um, and eighteen. That's that's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Yeah, that's that's Herculean. I I had a really good start to my week, but I've I've kind of fizzled out. I really got a good jump on it, and between last week we recorded on the Tuesday, so between the Tuesday and Wednesday alone, I got in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Actually, no, I guess I did pretty good all in all. Um, I've been watching uh, the Vice Guide to Film. Uh, it's been on uh, IFC here, and they're short little documentaries. Um, I, I like Vice Magazine. I know a lot of kind of hipster, douchey people like it, but I've liked it for a long time. Uh, I remember reading it years ago because it started out here in Canada before they moved to New York. Um, and their VBS TV thing has some really great journalism. It's not kind of bullshit. Uh, it, it seems reasonably uh, fair criticism of stuff it's it's not you know slanted too much uh, but anyway i digress uh so their guide to film they go around to different areas of the world where and they talk about uh either genres of films distinct to that country or just the film industry on the whole which you know of course is naturally fascinating to me first one i saw was the vice guide to film north korea and this was really cool um but i'd seen a lot of the footage they used when they actually did a, a, just the vice guide to north korea mm-hmm um, but you know, it was all right, uh, to see some of the, uh, I think there was a, like a God, Godzilla ripoff that, um, um, King Jong-il directed. It was, it, it looked pretty lame. You know, they, they seem to be <laughs> naturally using communist equipment and it's like cold war <coughs> communist. Their, their stuff's really far behind. But, um, then I watched Mexico, the vice guy to film Mexico and they covered a, a genre of cinema that I think maybe in punks is on the, the fringe of and it's narco cinema. This is oh, something yeah. I really want to check out. Narco cinema seems almost like the the Mexican <clears throat> equivalent to like a Euro crime. It's a lot, a lot of times it deals with, uh, hence the title, drugs. Uh, you know, drugs and cops and and drug dealers and stuff. Um, so that was pretty interesting. Uh, then I watched a documentary. I watched a lot of documentaries this week. Uh, one that good friend of the show Mike recommended called Jandek. Jandek on Corwood. And this is a really interesting documentary about a filmmaker, a filmmaker, a musician who really uh, kept himself private to the point where no one knew his identity for years. And he would release a limited amount of albums. They're very, his albums are really bizarre. They're 
very haunting. It's very alternative music in the truest sense. A lot of times it'd be spoken word and the the uh, the guitars aren't tuned well and just you know really haunting haunting stuff um, that you'd think would would be like the someone happened to record this kind of crazy man who lives in a cabin by himself strumming on a guitar and stuff. <laughs> but uh, it was pretty interesting uh, just to see the progression of this guy's career and he never obviously hit it big, but just some of the um, uh, I can't I can't think this morning. Some of the uh, music, uh, fuck it, I can't speak, I'm moving on. Uh, <laughs> then I watched what has to be one of the biggest fucking turds I've seen all year. Um, it's one that I remember the cover from my childhood, I'm sure we all do, and that's Rotor. Oh. I haven't seen that. It I haven't seen Mad- it either, but I, but I know the cover well. Yeah, it has like that Mad Max ripoff cover. And I remember this very fondly from my childhood. And <clears throat> this is one of the worst fucking movies I've, I've seen all year, man. It's terrible. It's so dull, man. It's so bad. So low budget. Um <laughs> I can get behind low budget, but don't be fucking dull. I mean, it's dreadful. I, I do not recommend it to anyone. Um, because the main guy, the cyborg <laughs> guy, is is like it's almost like he's doing the robot while he's trying to arrest <laughs> oh, no. people or kill people. It's it's really bad. Well, that is a and great, not even that's a great cover. Thing. Yeah, it is a great cover. It's so uh, Mad Max. I, so Mad Max. Oh, so Mad Max. Uh, next, I watched a Teddy Page. He's a, a reasonably competent Filipino workman director. Watched a film he did with Richard Harrison called Fireback, and Richard Harrison wrote this. And I should have known because I, I ironically got burned by a Teddy Page Richard Harrison team up uh, earlier. I think last month or the month before. Um, <laughs> right, the allure was Richard Harrison wearing a red tracksuit with a crossbow in his hands. Nice. <laughs> and I got duped into this one, and it. Was, it's just very lazy and uninspired, and Richard Harrison kind of has a clueless look on his face, as, he, as he's known to have sometimes in these, <laughs> these movies, you know, but that's okay. Um, then I watched a pretty good documentary from the 80s uh, called Fallen Angels. It's about the porn industry, um, and it, it chronicles, I think, four or five girls from first gay into the industry and then for a few years. And I think it doesn't say anything I didn't know or didn't feel. Um, but I think it just, just kind of seeing it again, kind of tangible in front of my eyes, just, you know, reaffirms a lot of stuff. You know, I'm not going to take the moral high ground. I, I you know, like any guy, I, I do love porn. But at the same time, I think now that I'm getting older, I, I certainly see the the dark side of it a lot more. Uh, it, it, it's really sad, you know, to see a couple of these girls that they're just lost in a sea of sharks really is what it amounts to. Um, then I watched another documentary, uh, Rebel Beat, the story of Ellie Rockabilly, which which was really cool. Uh, it wasn't anything earth-shattering, but uh, Rockabilly is a, a culture and music and an aesthetic that I, I really like, but I don't have much knowledge on or of. So it was pretty interesting to see. Um, then I decided I, had, you know, I needed to clear off the PVR some more, so I watched um, 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T., Nice. Which uh, which is really cool. It's a kids movie. I mean, it's uh, Doctor Seuss based. It's really wild. It's uh, you know, if you like um, Willy Wonka, you should like this. That sort of aesthetic. It's really out there, man. It's really good stuff. Can't wait to show my son. Oh, my son and I watched it, but he had to go to bed. It was getting late, so mm. and he's older. I'll really want to watch that with him. Then I watched a really strange British film, The Shout. Um, oh yeah. <clears throat> it was on, I think it was on TCM Underground or just TCM, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's 
pretty interesting. It's got um, oh god, not John Houston. Um, oh, I can't think of his name. Great British actor, older now. I can't remember now. Uh, it's it's basically about this guy, this mysterious guy who comes to this village and you know claims he kind of practices this sort of magic of sorts and he can kill people by shouting and there's this tense kind of bizarre sexual tension with the wife and him and it, it's a pretty interesting film it's strange but it's pretty interesting uh then i watched the vice guide to film russia which wasn't as good as i thought it would be um you know it was interesting i guess to see people that had a lot of freedoms now that we take for granted and just to see how they exercise them so that was kind of interesting uh the vice guide to film palestine was next up which was fascinating to see um these people that you know have just kind of been beaten down for a lot of years and that have nothing and uh, to see some of the the creativity that has sprung forth from that um that one was probably the best one i've seen so far from from a human i guess human interest side are these uh, i really enjoy are these vice guides are they feature length documentaries no 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 they're only about 30 minutes long oh cool so they're nice and quick um sometimes you know sometimes it's a good thing sometimes it's a bad thing but but yeah, it uh, this one was really good. I could have this one could have been full length, feature length, and I would have been fine with it. Uh, next up, I watched a uh, spaghetti western that the Zom had recommended. He said it was one of the best he'd ever seen. Gave it a nine point five, and it starred the Adorf. So I was like, wow. I mean, and it's uh, this one that's called and a, for a roof, a sky full of stars, um, which I think is a, a beautiful poetic title. Uh, it's it's weird. This film plays like a. Uh, a Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer movie, slightly more serious. Like Adorf plays like the the Bud Spencer role, mm-hmm. like the Bambino kind of you know big guy swinging his fists and right. you know it was okay. Um, and that's actually it. That's all I got in. So I had a pretty good week all in all. Not bad cool. at all. <clears throat> so uh, that's what we've watched. Uh, let's take a short break, and I think we're going to come back with some uh, some killer rats. Is that correct? That is correct. Sounds good. Okay, so Deadly Eyes, right after this, we'll be right back. Hi, hello. My name is Ken. And my name is Seth. We're the hosts of the Movies About Girls podcast. We'd like you to listen to our show, because on our 50th episode, we're going to kill a guy. Until then, we're going to watch hardcore pornography and laugh at jerks. (laughs) So if you like tits and murder and gags and bitterness, then listen to the Movies About Girls podcast, the podcast for teenage losers of all ages. MoviesAboutGirls.com All right, so we are back, and uh, the first pick of the week is one from, I was going to say, a good friend of the show, Robert Klaus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a good friend of the show, Rupert Pupkin. Uh, 
let me kick it over to him. Let him talk about why he chose Deadly Eyes, and and you know, give you a little bit of history. Something we had discussed off the air, a piece of trivia that that blew our minds uh, about uh, Mr. Klaus. So why don't I kick it over to you, Rube? Yeah, um, Klaus is, and you pointed this out to me. I didn't notice it. He is from Wisconsin, which is awesome, uh, as I am a Wisconsinite myself. Uh, and I I love Klaus. I think he he's definitely a director that has made a lot of interesting movies. I think the most well-known, of course, is uh, Enter the Dragon, which is a, obviously a great film. But then a close second would be probably uh, Black Belt Jones, which is equally awesome. Um, he also did one prior to both of those called um, Darker Than Amber with uh, um, who's the lead? Rod Taylor. Um, and that's a really cool – it's based on Travis McGee. Uh, it's based on some detective – novel series i forget uh looks like john d mcdonald was the author but anyway that's a really cool movie that's kind of hard to see but also a good klaus uh film and i like rod taylor a lot so so that was i checked that one out but but yeah he's done you know uh, a bunch of other um action movies he, he did game of death he did uh, uh a movie will told me about called force five which is will said was fun uh, he did Jim Cotta. Sorry, let me yeah, let me just interject. I want everyone to track down Force Five if they can. It's a pretty fun little movie. Um, it's kind of similar to um, Under the Dragon in some ways, but yeah, just everyone check it out. I, I always meant to mention that on the show, and, and I kept forgetting mm-hmm. to. So it was timely since we're talking about Close. And you mentioned Jim Cotta, which of course everyone who loves our show should watch because I love Jim <laughs> Cotta. Jim Cotta is pretty awesome. I have to agree. Um, he even did Klaus even did a Disney movie called The London Connection, um, which I finally tracked down last year and I still haven't watched. Um, but it's I don't know I think it's about some kids and a drug smuggling operation or something. I don't know I, I got to watch it soon. But um, anyway, he's a great director. I'm a big fan. And of course, he did another great Animals Attack movie, uh, The Pack, um, which came out in 1977, and which I'm a, is a year I'm fascinated by because of Star Wars coming out that year. And I always, you know, I was alive at the time, but I don't have a lot of memories of movies playing at that time. But I'm always curious about movies that came out in 77 because I know that they were overshadowed by the release, release of Star Wars. So um, I looked up the pack. I think it came out in November of 77, whereas Star Wars came out in May. And I'm just trying to imagine some people, you know, trying to decide to go to Star Wars for like the fifth time or check out. <laughs> This Joe Don Baker dogs attack movie, you know, it's always fascinated me. Um, but um, anyway, uh, I'm a big, just a big animals attack uh, movie fan in general, and uh, you know, I think part of the reason is that they're like slasher movies and disaster movies, which I mean, animals attack is kind of a subgenre of of disaster movies. Um, but they just have like you know conventions and structure that you're you're used to, you know. All, all those types of films sort of have an inciting incident, you know, with like either the slasher or, you know, whatever the disaster is going to be, the sort of setup. And then you have like a weak setup of like two, probably too many characters, you know, in, in the case of Deadly Eyes, I feel like they don't, there aren't that, there aren't that many characters. So it's not that bad as far as setting up, setting them up. But, um, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it's a really interesting film though. I think it, a lot of people... <laughs> Don't like it, I think, because it's rated pretty low on IMDb. But I think it's pretty great. Yeah, it's, um, it should be said it's, it's got a, a pretty lean 2.6 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things too, though, is it's it's not really available. It was released by Warner's on VHS, 
and I know that there's there was I think a German DVD at one point which I have not been able to track down in any form, uh, although I've really tried, uh, which I would love to get. But so its availability definitely hurts the the rating. I think if more people could see it, but I highly recommend checking out the VHS if you can. Um, if I remember, I think uh, one of my favorite programmers in LA, Phil Blankenship, who does the midnight shows and stuff at the New Beverly Cinema is a big fan of it, and uh, I would love to see it played. I, I'd just love to see it with a crowd. It's a really, really fun movie I think would play well with a crowd. But uh, I should do a quick plot synopsis. It is, uh, IMDb says, Contaminated grain breeds overgrown killer rats in this Golden Harvest production. Uh, dachshunds were dressed as, uh, up as rats for the movies. For the movie. Uh, <laughs> it's the worst. That's one of the worst uh, synopsis. <laughs> it's pretty bad. It does kind of cover it, but you know that's another thing that's neat is it's a Golden Harvest production, and I'm obviously they're a big. Well, you're probably more familiar with their productions than I am. Even yeah. I, know, I know Megaforce. Megaforce is a Golden Harvest production. Deeds, not then, words. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that this has any connection at all to Megaforce. Yeah, it's it's so strange. Golden Harvest, known of course, they're based out of Hong Kong. Uh, Known more for for their uh, kung fu output than yeah. anything. So to see their name attached, I almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> I know it comes, it just pops up right away, and, and that must be the Klaus connection. Oh, the other thing that Will said was really neat about Klaus is that he was deaf, and that he um, had somebody on set to help him with line deliveries because uh, he couldn't hear that stuff. So I, I think that's pretty amazing. I never would have guessed there was any handicap at all with with him as a director i think he's a very you know solid director so um anyway um i, I don't know i i am a big fan i'm, I'm very cu- curious what you guys think um i, I just want to kick it over to you guys and see and see what, what, what you guys thought of it <laughs> i think it's a pretty crazy movie i think one thing that's neat about these kind of disaster movies and animal attack movies is that they kind of show you like right away if they're going to have any balls at all you know if they're going to go any place sort of extreme and you know granted this movie came out in 82 so it's not necessarily going to seem extreme but there's a scene early on in the film that i think sort of sets the tone of like how they're going to you know where they're going to go and i think it's a pretty ballsy scene and i don't think it's a scene that you would see in a contemporary animals attack film necessarily um you might but but i but i but right away i was just like holy shit okay you know, so that it gets your attention. Um, but but I'm gonna kick it over to you guys and hear what, hear what you thought. Loaf. Um. Well, okay. Yeah. The uh, I know the scene you're talking about was um, kind of surprising for me too. Um. F- uh, and and oddly enough, in that scene, the um, the vinyl tile on the floor was the exact same vinyl tile my grandmother had on her kitchen floor at that time. Okay. <laughs> It must have been a popular uh, po- popular pattern because I'd seen I've seen it in movies a lot. So, but um, the movie was interesting. I, I don't know that I liked it all that much. Um, I didn't I didn't hate it or anything. That's cool. A, a lot of it seemed pretty kind of mundane. Um, <laughs> the actiony parts were were. For, for good and the 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 rats the dachshunds and I'm glad I read that because you could really tell what they were if you if you know it if and if I didn't know they were dachshunds I wouldn't have known but they looked really creepy because they were huge 
yeah, they looked. It, I thought I they looked say, pretty good. I think. Sorry, going into this movie, that's always been the thing I've heard is how much they did look like the old wiener dog. But I, I thought they did a pretty good job with them, man. Like the rats looked good in most for most of the movie. That was a, it. Yeah. Was a really smart choice, I think, to use dachshunds because they, when they run around like that, they look like a rat. Rats do that little like kind of like waddle thing when they walk, and yeah, I mean, and the camera was, you know, the. I don't know if it was Klaus or his um, his DOP, but the you know the angles they used on them were smart because you know you don't see you don't really get the that glimpse of what they really are. I mean, you see them up from above, so all you yeah. see is their little fur coat, or or you know, and it, it looked they looked really good. Um, yeah, yeah, he shoots from from above. I agree. I think that the way that they and I didn't know about the dachshunds the first time I watched it, so I was kind of like. Wow, that's curious because they move like animals. They have certain like hesitations and and little yeah. you know mm-hmm. shifts back and forth that they do that animals would do. So it felt they felt really real the first time, and then since I've watched it, you do see it a little bit more. But it's a really cool choice, I think. Actually, as, as silly as it sounds. Yeah, um, and the you know the parts that I talked about that were mundane. I actually, for some reason, in the first half of the movie, I was really into it, like. <laughs> I don't know if this is typical of the genre, but the the side stories where you know it would show different people's like what they were going through in their day was so like I don't know something about it was just very intri- intriguing to me. Like the cheerleader <laughs> obsessed with the teacher, yeah. And, you know, and what I think what made me finally interested is like you know she was very interested in the teacher, and he was you know painted as this handsome like winner guy. <laughs> and she comes on to him and then it kind of like switches at that point to his life and it shows him making a Swanson hungry man dinner in his house. <laughs> and, and, and it should be said, Loaf, that, you know, me being, uh, you know, at times someone who said to indulge in the Swansons that thank God for <laughs> microwaves because this guy's reading the instructions and is going and put it in the oven for 20 minutes. Uh, you know, the point of Swanson's I always thought was quick, not. 20 minutes you can whip up a nice uh, tomato sauce and some pasta man that's one thing i always love about these older movies i love seeing the old packaging for some reason but yeah uh, dude it's like loose so oil on top of his television dinner and his and the um when i was watching um uh, alice doesn't live here anymore the old like uh, uh, pop tops on the on the cans is another thing that i was yeah. seeing uh, I, w- I wish a company would <laughs> would release some cans with those old pop tops although it probably creates a lot of waste i would imagine so dude that's so funny love that you say that because i'm a huge fan of old packaging too like <laughs> fast food packaging old mcdonald's yeah or like when we were watching um summer school i spotted an old doritos bag you know like the nice. kind they used to have in the <laughs> it's just so weird that that's it's it's cool for me because it reminds me of that time and they don't you can't see it anymore it's yeah. only it's frozen in time in that movie uh, anyway. but the uh that cheerleader, and I think we've all agreed on this. Uh, she was hot in a way. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. When she wore her little like twisted bandana headband thing, it was totally making me think of the lead singer of Def Leppard. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I hated you for saying that because I found her really hot. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, I like uh, I liked her making herself. Uh, a little available to the teacher doing the little, oh, let me pick this clothing up off the floor move. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was nothing uh, nothing subtle about that move. Um, uh, you know, like, you, you guys haven't mentioned it yet, but um, Scatman Crothers makes the... Oh, yeah. Senate and uh, 
he's not in it enough. Um, no, he's not. But <laughs> and the re- we came we came back in from this break playing the Johnny Guitar Watson, ain't that a bitch? And when he's in the, there's a line in the movie, and of course he's the one that says it, but he says, "Ain't this a bitch?" <laughs> I that that instantly put that song in my head for I mean probably a few days, and now that now that I've you know requested the song be on the show, it's been st- it's been stuck in my head again. Nice. And um, the uh, there's a funny line in it, which is pretty uh, typical of '80s movies, I think, with the the one of the chick says to the blonde cheerleader says you've got your own car you're a cheerleader what more do you want <laughs> she's pining over the she's pining over this very chested loser teacher making his swanson hungry mans and her friend is just confused she's like your own car you're a cheerleader what more do you want yeah life is good <laughs> yes that's it that's the kind of stuff there's a, i think i feel like there's quite a bit of dialogue like that in some, I mean, not enough with the kids, but like that's the kind of stuff that would, I think, like I said, would play really well with the crowd. Yeah, people bust up at a lot of it. I think maybe in another director's hands, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to slight Robert Klaus, but <laughs> it's like you know he comes from an action background, and the the non-actiony parts in this were where it ended up suffering. Um, but. Anyway, the back to the little things, I guess. The uh, you know, and I also thought with the dachshunds, the rats, it made me think of uh, the old WWF wrestler Bad News Brown, and he had a sewer rat for a little while. Oh I, yes, uh, it was a possum. Oh my <laughs> gosh! Like, and it, look, it always looked so ridiculous. This stupid possum in a cage that's supposed to be his giant sewer rat. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, by the end of the movie, uh, you know, I got back into it a little bit with the end. I liked the subway sequence there's a subway sequence near the end and i thought that worked pretty well but um yeah oh anyway will you can uh you can go in now and see i'll see what you think too okay so the first thing i noticed uh yeah the v i obviously caught a vhs trip like you said I, i'm surprised and I, I never it never fails to amaze me sometimes the things that aren't on dvd not to say that this is you know criterion material but i think <laughs> there's a lot of movies that that should be uh, on DVD, and, and this one isn't. A lot worse is on DVD. Um, this film is shot in Toronto, and it's very obvious to me, and that's one of the things I like when I see a movie shot in Toronto, is um, just the things I can spot. Like, for example, uh, City Hall. I believe it's City Hall. It's on Queen Street. Um, Queen Street West here in Toronto. That doubles for the university when they first came out near the beginning. Mm-hmm. And when they nice. come out, it's interesting, because just to the left of them, like if you look down the street from them, uh, is the Eaton Center, which is the biggest mall in, in Ontario, uh, where I'm from, and I think the second or third biggest in, in Canada, behind the West Edmonton Mall. So it's interesting to see that, and then see a TT. They get on a TTC, which is the Toronto Transit Commission, or the Red Rocket. Uh, <laughs> they get on the old Red Rocket uh, as you know the students and the teacher does and stuff. So I always like spotting stuff like that in older movies, you know, all in Cronenberg stuff to see stuff, you know, in Montreal and Toronto and whatnot. Um, I do want to talk about our girl, uh, Lisa Langlois, for a moment, because she yeah. has a really interesting filmography that I didn't even realize. Um, I didn't think I'd seen yeah, her in anything. She did a couple of Claude Chabrol, film, uh, Chabrol films, who's a pretty well-known French director. Uh, one of them, she has the unfortunate character name of, uh, where is it here? It's, it's just pretty dreadful. Oh, she's. And this actually isn't one of his movies, but she was in one called Klondike Fever, and she plays Diamond Tooth Gertie. <laughs> not exactly the best name but she did those those Trabol, uh, Claude Trabrol films that's harder to say than I ever thought I always say it to myself um, 
But the films I found interesting in here that I was stunned to see she was in was a couple of their Canadian genre films within that same 81 to 82 run where she was in Happy Birthday to Me, which uh, to Slasher fans, of course, is, is a pretty well-known film. And then a film I love, Class of 1984. Oh, yeah. Yep. She plays like the like the, the main guy's girlfriend in that. So uh, I, I'd forgotten that she was that was her. I didn't even realize it. So anyway, uh, but to get back to this film... Uh, it's interesting when we first see Scatman, it's like it's a freezing cold day. He's working in this, this this grain place, and he's like got this cat. It's like he's outdoors, and he's stroking this cat. It's just <laughs> it was kind of a bizarre choice. I don't know really why they went with that, but uh, very interesting. <laughs> I felt bad for the cat. Like I hope they did that in one or two takes because, you know, he's wearing like furs, and the cat's just kind of. Well, yeah, and then they had the cat running around outside in the snow, and that was, that was a little rough, I think, like. Yeah, not good. Um, this is another one of those early 80s uh, animal attack movies that has kind of an environmental message. Um, it, it also kind of, well, talks about that and just talks about steroids and, and food, etc., putting things in the sewer. And it really reminded me of, of a more kind of low-rent version of Alligator, the yep. Teague film. You know, the... Um I've read somewhere that the book that this is based on, it wasn't steroids. It was like a, some kind of nuclear problem in the Pacific where the grains came from that caused the rats to grow. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, because this, yeah, this is based on a book, it should be said. Uh, we see early on Scatman, he, he's in this Jeep in the snow with the bright lights on. And I see that and I just I couldn't help but think of The Shining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. same here. You know, it's uh, just very much uh, reminiscent of that. Um, apparently, Scatman is enthusiastic about corn being lit on fire. <laughs> that one shot of his face—it's like, like this this man's just overjoyed, and he's conducting a symphony or something, and he's just he's watching all this corn burn because they got to get rid of it, of course. Uh, it's I was confused uh, what his character was supposed to be because at times it seemed like he worked for the health department, and other times they seemed to treat him like a janitor. I thought <laughs> didn't, he, didn't he work for the the mill or the, whatever? I thought he worked for the mill. No, I don't. I don't know because why would he? I mean, why was he down in the sewers? Well, the other thing is that he shows up at the the main woman's office and she works for the health department, and he's talking about the size of the rats. <laughs> and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was. I, it is a little confusing. I got a sense he worked for the the city sanitation in some capacity, but was sort of aligned with the health department, like because of that. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. We all kind of got a different <laughs> thing from with that. But, yeah, uh, I love uh, these these tax shelter films, as they're called. I mean, a lot of films were shot in Canada in the 70s. I don't know the exact end of the tax shelter days, but a lot of films were shot here on the cheap. I think you'd get like half your money back or almost all your money back. So a lot of filmmakers shot here. And I, I miss that because I miss seeing, like you guys said, um, you know, if a film's shot, maybe you didn't say this, uh, but when a film's shot, you know, where you live, it, it's always great to see that. And uh, speaking of the nostalgia, that's where I was, what I was referring to. Just kind of seeing old Toronto, like late seventies, early eighties Toronto and stuff, like stuff from my youth. It it really uh, brings back strong, strong memories and a strong nostalgic sense. So uh, it's unfortunate that a lot of stuff now the city is just used to double as something else. Yeah. As, as opposed to letting it be what it is. Um, but they never do they ever call out that it's specifically Toronto or do they because I never got a not sense very often I mean I think no. Montreal gets called out for being Montreal more than Toronto I was like there's the score which was no no I mean in, in this sorry in this film oh. specifically I, I feel like they were they were kind of 
generic, making like a generic city. And they yeah, no, no, they it. were, they were, but there wasn't any effort to hide the fact that it was. Sure. You know, like they didn't paint the the Toronto, the, the TTC streetcar like New York colors, or you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like there wasn't that. Yeah, no, that's cool. Right? I mean, I know at the end, this, the, the opening of the subway, it was a little different, but but it wasn't like they tried to hide it. I think either. Um, I do want. The, sorry, they did that in Chloe also. The I saw that recently. The um, it's it, it takes. It, they never say where it takes place, and I was like, what? It, you know, it looked familiar, but not quite. And I had to look it up actually that it was Toronto that they filmed. Oh, it was, but they didn't say Toronto. No, no, no. Okay. Um, I do want to say what happens here because I think I know this, you guys danced around it and I understand why you danced around it, but some of our listeners um, may not want to see <laughs> what these rats do to someone. So I want to warn them <laughs> what, what it is. Um, there's a, a toddler that gets killed by the rats. So I, I know yeah. that maybe is a bit of a spoiler, but some people, you know, we like to warn people about rape or about, you know, children, death, you know. <laughs> children's death and stuff in films so uh i do want to warn people that there is in fact uh, a child that gets uh, consumed rather messily <laughs> by by the rats uh and the scene was effective and, and like you said uh, uh Roop, it's it's something you definitely wouldn't see nowadays and i think it's something that you know it, it's it's pretty powerful but when you i think it's a great device to kill either a character who's been a central focal point or a young like a child or something like that in a film, because it really ups the ante in the movie and makes you feel that no one's safe. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that there's always this interesting thing in, in horror movies where you can tell how the movie's setting up its, its stakes by like who may or may not be killed. I think one of the more famous ones, and I think maybe Tarantino talked about it, isn't like silver bullet. Um, you know, probably Corey Haim is going to be okay. But you don't know that Gary Busey's going to be okay, you know, like he's and he's a really cool character. So you're kind of at a certain point, you're like, oh, is he going to make it or is he not going to make it? Um, and and I, I like that when a movie sets that the higher stakes up, you know, like lose somebody big. I, I think that's a cool thing to do. Oh, it's a very cool thing to do, and it's something that you know Hitchcock did, and you know, uh, obviously Craven kind of nodded to that. Uh, it, it's a great, great device to kind of keep people on the edge of their seats early on in a film or throughout a film to sustain kind of suspense and keep them guessing. Um, and it is done here. Um, we talked about the teacher, the the hero of the film. And to me, he looks like sort of like the love child of Richard Crenna and Paul Gleason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I love I that actor. I love that actor. His name's Sam Groom. And he did a lot of TV, but he is part of a group of like, uh, teeth clenching actors, I like to call. Um, like, the, I mean, the great teach, teeth clencher is obviously Charlton Heston. But then you've <laughs> got guys like James Franciscus and Bradford Dillman that yeah. they they have that thing where they'll deliver lines through. It, I think it's part of the way their jaw is shaped and the way their teeth come together that they deliver lines almost through clenched teeth. Not like they're angry, but just it's just how they look normally. Yeah. Kind of. I always thought that was funny. Yeah, he didn't. Uh, he didn't do very many films. He did a lot of TV, though. Uh, he has like 41 TV credits, but only six film credits. Two of the films he started in had "Deadly" in the title, "Deadly Eyes" and "Deadly yes. Games." <laughs> uh, he also that... did a. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say one of the one of my favorite things that he did. He did was I think it's an Irwin Allen produced TV movie called "Time Travelers," if I remember. <laughs> or I see that in his list. Yeah. 
Um, and that one's kind of hard to see, but it's pretty cool. I mean, it's it came out in 1976, and it, it definitely foreshadows kind of some of the stuff they do in Back to the Future a little bit. Um, it's Basically, these guys go back to Chicago right around the time of the Chicago fire, and they're trying to stop the fire from happening and stuff and uh, find this cure for a disease that's broken out in, in the current century. Um, but he's really, you know, I, I think he's really, he's passable, and I think he... He gets it done for me anyway, personally. He's passable. I would give him that. I wouldn't give him any more, from my opinion, respectfully. <laughs> um, but no, this film, this film, Deadly Games, has a pretty good cast. It's him, Steve Railsbeck, and Dick Butkus. Nice. <laughs> the That's Butkus. pretty awesome. As you guys um, say. What's that? I said the Butkus, as you guys might say. Yeah, yeah, man. For sure. I, do that. I gotta <laughs> see that one. Um, so... One thing I am thinking, as much as I like seeing the winter wonderland of Toronto, I think a film about rats and kind of the grimy nature of rats would serve itself uh, much better and be more, far more effective to t- take place in the summer because I think immediately it's going to evoke the smell of garbage and kind of the sticky, nasty vibe as opposed to the beautiful, pristine white snow. Yeah, I think yeah. they had they must have had an opening and had yeah. to take it. I think yeah, that's what it is too, right. because it would have looked so much better in the summer, and you know, spray a little oil on people, and it just it would have looked a lot better, I think, in the summer. But well, I think also if you're going to do a horror movie in the snow, you got to have blood on snow, and yeah. I don't think they have almost any blood on snow in this movie. Or you got to yeah, you got to somehow implement the snow into a great you know stocking scene or something. There's got to be you got to use that the element to, to your advantage. You know, because it is yeah. at your disposal. Um, this film has a dreadful score. I, I don't really need to say much more than that. It's pretty awful. Um, certainly not not a goblin score by any. Uh, no, no. Um, you kind of talked on this loaf. I think a lot of Klaus's films sometimes can suffer from pacing issues. Um, the pacing in this is pretty dull in spots. Like you said, I was into it early on with some of the the side stories and stuff because it, you know it was Toronto and. You know, the uh, the blonde chick was hot and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, yeah, so I think some of the closest films do lag a bit in spots. He didn't always, couldn't always pace his films very well, for what it's worth. Um, I love the, the Gleason, what's his name, Broom or Groom. A groom has this this technique he must have used on all the ladies because he gets uh, his love interest naked and he, he does this kind of, nipple rub with his nose before he gently starts <laughs> sucking technique that, I think like a cheese ball asshole like him he must be thinking that, like that's like his that's like his go-to move to get the party started yeah I think, I think Seinfeld had the counterclockwise swirl yeah, uh, yeah. Sam Groom has the uh, the the nose tickle yeah <laughs> the proboscis tickle proboscis nice <laughs> And it's uh, it's a shame that there's a cop in this film because I was starting a little bored, right? And it's a shame that uh, <laughs> this cop shows up with this chocolate brown corduroy trench coat, and I'm like, man, this guy needs to be in it more often. This guy's got bringing some pizzazz to the film, <laughs> you know. And it even looked like there was a little Fiat parked off to the side, but it was actually the she uh, drove one. She drove a Lada. It was actually a Lada. Okay. And Lada's are really shitty Russian cars. I, I, I was stunned to see it. I was stunned to see that car in this film. It's such a piece of shit. But uh, yeah. So anyway, um, where am I here? Um, oh, I was gonna say, you know, they they made this guy. They made Groom's character pretty noble. 
you know, because he comes home and he, to quite the, the surprise, and uh, like you, you talked about with the oops. <laughs> and, Let me get this off the floor. Yeah, yeah. And I think even while like, her head's upside down, she even winks or something. But um, if this was a European movie, he would have been hitting both anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah. like an idiot, man. Like, you got this, like, this curly-haired kind of frumpy, you know, crusading journalist or whatever she was. You got this Health hot button. young mink. It's like, come on. Come on, groom. <laughs> you know, and, and, and of course, you know, that <laughs> leads into the classic... Yeah, uh, it's not what it looks like. Moment. <laughs> <laughs> to to be fair, I think the only reason he was avoiding her is because she was still in high school. No, because he did say he did whisper to himself, uh, "Willpower," you know. In the, in the <laughs> yeah, I didn't hear that. Yeah, yeah, that's and, a pretty funny bit. Did, but I thought they wasn't this college. I got the vibe it was college. They all looked older. Well, they played basketball, and she was a cheerleader. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe. I wouldn't see a bunch of, you know, a bunch of like, uh, lame burger going, pot smoking white guys being on a college basketball team. Well, also, point. I would I would argue that that opening scene where they're getting a lecture about the rats is done on a college campus, and that was like a field trip. So I, I get a sense that they were high school kids going uh-huh. to sit in on a college. Which lecture. is why they all got on the train together. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, That's so I guess, guess I guess it makes a little little more sense. Yeah. But. Uh, and I love that when his uh, crusading girlfriend comes in and she sees um, Langlois' character strut out, he goes, oh, and she goes, now I see why you didn't want to be disturbed. <laughs> uh, and, then she, and then she just takes his kid and he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> but, that, but that's the thing. This guy's like the worst father in the history of cinema. The worst, but, but there's a moment where the, the Langlois character, to jump back in the scene, she goes, I see you didn't come home last night. I was like, where the fuck was your nine-year-old kid then? Like, just alone in the apartment? It's, it's just, it kind of made me think, hang on, wait a second. You know, but... Well, did, did they ever talk about his wife? He did. His he ex-wife? Did. He divorced, because yeah. they're, they're caught up in legal proceedings or something, didn't they say? Yeah, that's he had him on the He had him on weekends, remember, when they was, he was doing the train bit in the in the park. And yeah, that's when right. He, when he first met the health inspector lady, and she was, you know, he explained to her that he had the kid on the weekends or something. Oh, okay, so. I didn't hear that, but I did hear it. Because, yeah, I think the professor at the beginning says to him, well, whatever happened with you and uh, the net or something. But uh, I love that, that Klaus gives us a bit of an inside kind of nod to people that know his filmography when he does the Bruce Lee film retrospective at the theater. Yeah, yeah that was cool. Really that love cool. that. Really love and that's it. A great, that's a great scene, dude. you got to love the movie theater scene. That's, that's a pretty fun. It's a good scene. Yeah, I like that. that. That was where it picked back up. Yeah. Um, being Canadian, uh, in you, with you guys, with labels in the States, is one side English and one side Spanish? Um, or no? They, it, it depends on what you're buying, really. Yeah, because here, everything, one side's English, one side's French. With every- You'll get it a lot on, like, clo- clothing tags and stuff like that. You'll have, like, the care instructions will be in English and Spanish. Mm. Yeah. But- yeah. The reason I bring this up is I'm so used to being a popcorn lover, going to the theater and seeing Maya Soufflé on the side of the popcorn box, and I got to see a Maya Soufflé box. On- nice. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, this little geek uh, Canadian moment. Um, I thought we talked about the rats. I even liked some of the close-ups of the rats burying their fangs. I thought that was reasonably well done, all things considered. I love, you know what I love, and as cheesy as it is, I love the sounds that they use for the rats. 
Yeah. Because they use some, there's like, there's, it's sort of like a screamy, like, animal sound, and then a couple times they, they use, like, almost like mountain lion sounds or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, totally thought of a really funny. <laughs> I think that's really funny. That's To me, that's really funny. That's awesome. Um, there's a pretty good little payoff with a, a train-loving son. I wish they had have extended that a little further, made it a little more splattery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it's not really that film. Um, I love the ending of this film. Uh, for me, it bumps the film up for me like a half point. Nice. Yeah, I really like that ending. I thought it was a really good ending. So, yeah, those are all my notes. So why don't we start back? Uh, uh, I guess. Oh, Rube, you haven't even talked about stuff for the film. No, yet. no, no. Well, no. I mean, you guys have covered pretty much everything. I don't know. I mean, I, I know you guys didn't have as good a time with this as I as I do. I know you know who's a big fan of this. Um, Will Naked is uh, Nate Esky. Uh, Esky's a huge fan, so he and I have, have uh, messaged back and forth about it a couple of times. But um, Esky wants is... feedback. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I told him that we were going to be covering this, so he may maybe he'll call in. Cool. Um, but um, I don't know what it is about this one. I think I just have such a fondness for cheesy '80s. Um, like slasher and 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 monster movies and stuff, that somehow this one skates under the radar on all the levels that all the problems you guys had with it, which are totally legit and I, I totally understand. I don't know why, but it's it's like there's an odd nostalgic uh, feeling, even though there's so much cheesy stuff and and it could be boring in parts. For some reason, it doesn't it doesn't get me that way. I, I don't know what it is about it. Well, if this is a film that you've seen, you know, multiple times, or if, especially if it's one you saw when you were younger, you know, I don't know if I did honestly. I think I've come, I come, I came to it in the past, I don't know, three years, I think, and okay. because I was going through Klaus's stuff and going through a big trying to see all the Animal Attack films I hadn't seen, um, but I may have seen it as a kid, but I don't remember. But it reminds me of a lot of movies I saw right. as a kid. I think in part. I can see uh, that. Like you know, like I said with kung fu films, it's the same way. Even if it's a kung yeah, kung it's totally the stuff. Yeah, you were talking about with the, the dubbed footsteps and yeah, and there's just other little things that the, even the bad scores. You know what I mean? Like uh, that stuff is oddly cheesily nostalgic for me or something. I can't describe it. But um, yeah, I mean, you guys have really covered um, a lot of the stuff about it. I don't know. I just lo- like I said, I just sort of love the rats in it. I love. Even it's got a connection to Three O'clock High, which is one of my favorites. In that the guy who played, I think Vincent, you know, like um, Jerry Mitchell's buddy, best friend, uh, is was one of the main dudes in the movie, and I love to see that guy pre uh, Three O'clock High. Um, I don't know. I like that it's set in Canada, Canada, and that you hear the Canadian accents coming through <laughs> on occasion on some of the um, actors and. I don't know. It just—it's very to me—it's very stripped down, and that a lot of these movies have more characters, and there aren't that many characters, and I'm just involved enough in them, and I feel like he just for me, he just brings the rats in enough at the right time, right, right about when I would get bored, the rats come back, you know, and they're always sort of ever present, um, and they—they're pretty gnarly, you know, just because they—they yeah. move in a creepy way, and they, you know, they're big. And I don't know, there's something about rats just creep me out, you know, and I'm not like particularly rat phobic. Like, I don't know how many times I could say I've personally seen a rat, but, you know, from certain movies, I think it's it's just become a creepy creature for me. Uh, you know, and obviously they're known to carry a lot of diseases and everything like that. So I don't know, these guys, and there are enough, like, well, I think you mentioned close-ups of them in, in, in their faces and then the sound design. I, I feel like it's all really done in a way that's, 
that appeals to me, uh, the the horror fan uh, part of me. So anyway, I, I I don't know. I think it, I think it's definitely worth a look. I, but I totally understand there will be some people that will see it and react probably the same way you guys did. Um, but I don't know what it is about this one. Just really really got me. It happens. I mean, that's the beauty of film. Like we always say, like we all know, it's just sometimes something grabs you. It just hits that spot, and and you love it. Um, yeah, I, you know. To be fair, I don't. I don't hate this film. I don't think Loaf does either. But uh, no, no, definitely not. Definitely not. But 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 I, you know, I felt more of a two point six rating coming out. Like for me, when I was like, I was like, that's way too low. But like then you bring up a lot of valid points. I'm like, well, yeah, I guess. Maybe that's why some people rated it a little lower. There's a lot of problems with it. But no, no, I do want to anyway, say. Sorry to interrupt. One thing was the sound no. on on the copy I had was really bad. Oh no, really? <clears throat> it was just it was kind of low and a little bit blown out. Uh, a little bit, but that's okay. I mean that that probably you know hurt a little bit, but that's okay. I mean you know that's just it is what it is. Yeah, it's, it's a not the film. Um, yeah, it needs a nice remastered DVD, which is never ever going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You never know, man. Code Red or yeah, someone. Yeah, could... yeah. You know, you're right. That's that's true. That's true. I mean, it's because it was distributed by Warner Brothers. I wonder if maybe it'll come out through the Warner Archives or something like that. Um, but I don't know that they'll clean it up or clean up the sound or anything like that if they put it out. But uh, that's probably our best hope. But anyway, what uh, I'd love to hear you guys is. Um, Make or breaks and scores and things. I guess I can I can jump in there. Um, I guess for me the uh, the MVT was the the Wiener Dogs. Um, <laughs> I think yeah we already talked about it. I think it was a smart choice for larger rats that still wanted to behave like animals. And I would have loved to have seen the behind the scenes set. Yeah. Uh, with like 50 wiener dogs all needing to be fed and taken <laughs> out at the same time. So, yes. um, and outfitted. <laughs> yeah. I wonder yeah, whose job it was to put little rat jackets on all the little. <laughs> um, the make or break, I guess, was a break for me that was um, up until this point, I was okay with the, with the um, weird behind the scenes kind of scene shots of all the people's lives, but the, the date, love scene between the um, uh, Paul Harris and his lady, his health department lady friend. Uh, that was when I was just kind of losing interest in what they were doing with their lives. Um, what? Was that, where, right. was that where proboscis meets areola? <laughs> yes, that was the proboscis areola twist. Nice. And um, my score, um, it's definitely not as bad as what internet movie database, uh, portrays but i thought it was a little better than average i gave it a 5.75 out of 10 cool. what'd you do well um so my make or break is the ending of the film i really liked the ending i thought it was really good um the rat stuff it uh, it was handled really really well like i said they did a great job with it but i just think even still um it's hard to kind of ratchet up the tension sometimes, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the ending was, was really fantastically realized. This is going to sound silly. My MVT is Lisa Langlois, man. I liked her. Like, <laughs> that, dude, that, that European mullet she was working, it was just fantastic for me. I really liked her. And I love the rats. I want to give the rats their, or the, 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 the wiener dogs their due. They were fantastic. But I was just kind of – she sprinkled her – her pixie dust on me early on, and and uh, <laughs> you know I thought I was uh, the Krennic Gleason man in in the the bedroom that she bent over there. So 
How did you like that like uh, that gradient faded uh, jumpsuit she was wearing during cheerleading practice? Oh, fantastic, <laughs> fantastic, man. Um, but no, but the, the, the rats were very good. I got to give it to them. But I, I just I was a little bit mesmerized by her. That was more my male side coming out, I guess. Um, my score for the film is a five point five. Uh, out of 10. I know it seems a little bit low. I, I do think it is a fun film and it's a fun animal attack film, but I think all things considered with the budget and and everything else, I think they did a really good job, especially establishing you know the, the rats, all bets were off kind of thing that we talked about early on. Um, I think it's worth everyone checking out because it is fun. Um, but yeah, I just think there were some moments that, that didn't quite hold it for me. So I'm That's sorry, cool. Rupa, I... Uh, no, 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 no apologies necessary at all. Check it uh, out just to say that you've seen a, dog, a movie where wiener dogs played rats. That, yeah, is, not, that is worth it just to impress your friends. Yes. I may list it. I may list it as more of a guilty pleasure from here on out, but, <laughs> no, but it's no. definitely one that. But I, I truly love this film. Um, so my score is going to be like way, <laughs> way, way higher than you guys. But I, but I really, really like it a lot. And I don't, like I said, I don't know why it appeals to me so much. But um, yeah, I gotta say my MVT is definitely the rats. I think um, they really stand out, and I I feel like it's one of the better, um, you know, killer rat movies out there. Um, and there are some interesting ones, um, but th- these rats are really great. Uh, and my make or break is basically from the movie theater scene on through the end. I, I feel like a, the movie theater scene. I have a great uh, lobby card from this movie that somebody gets bitten in the movie theater scene. And I think, Will, you would actually like this because I think it's Lisa Langlois, like, reaction to the yeah. bite <laughs> or something like that. So so it's a pretty funny – I should send you a picture of it. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm going to give this uh, movie <laughs> – you guys are going to laugh at me, but I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I, I absolutely – for what it is um, and for uh, – you know, if you're a hardcore Animals Attack movie fan like I am – and it's not – there's a lot of weaker films. Like there are b- more boring parts to a lot of these films, but I feel like you know, it's a pretty for me. It's a pretty enjoyable one. So I'm gonna go eight out of ten. I'm gonna recommend people try and track it down if you like those kind of movies. Uh, it's definitely worth your time. I think even even through the boring stuff, it's still fun. And I would also recommend the Pack, Robert Klaus's movie, The Pack with the Dog Attack movie. That's with cause with Joe Don's in it, and um, it, it's it's a lot of fun too. So anyway. That's it for me on that one. So there you go, uh, some divided uh, scores, but uh, that's okay. I think all of us enjoyed it enough to recommend it to our listeners. So that's it. Uh, we're going to take a short break and and come back with Intrepidos Punks. We'll be right back. Hey, fans, it's Ken Forey. Just want to tell you about Mail Order Zombie. Great company. They review zombie films, any zombie film, every zombie film. And it's uh, something you should tune into. So if you get a chance, go to the website, look these guys up, Mail Order Zombie, and find out what the hot zombie films are today. What's going on? These guys are right on the the cutting edge of of reviewing zombie movies. And if you're a zombie, or you want to be a zombie, or you're thinking about being a zombie, or your mom's a zombie, your dad's a zombie, your damn mother-in-law's a zombie, tune in to Mail Order Zombie, baby. You'll find out what's going on. Ken Forey, and that's out.
As I mentioned last week, uh, every week we're going to have a track of the week from a good friend, new friend, uh, and good friend of the show, Larry, from Funky 16 Corners, which is funky16corners.lunarpages.net, which is my favorite music blog. And uh, that was the premieres, uh, Funky Monkey, which, of course, was a very aptly named track because it is funky. So uh, I know you guys had said you you dug it. Yeah, that was a cool, it was a cool track. I, I dug it, and uh, as I told you, um, my my daughter really dug it. Uh, I was playing it yesterday, um, just in our room, uh, and she was walking around the room, and she stopped, and she was sort of she does she does she dances a little bit from time to time, and she was kind of <laughs> rocking out to it a little bit. So she <laughs> she definitely gives it her seal of approval. I think it's awesome because my son he seems to really love music, and I wish we played more music because we're both music fans, but it just seems like. We don't play enough much around the house, and I think we got to start more because certain music he really like. Like you said, I love seeing babies or like young kids dance. It's it's almost like it's really the the truest case of the music takes hold of their body because they don't have that filter where they're like, I'm gonna look like an idiot, so I'm gonna hold back with my dance moves. Like they they, <laughs> yeah. they, they do whatever their body like, but the music compels them to do. Like my son loves when I play like like bluegrass or like Johnny Cash or like some really funky soul. I mean, he just, he starts like spinning around and like, like, you know, he shakes his, his bum and he just, he gets right into it. It's, it's no, you're awesome. right. It is that sort of unfiltered, you know, you know, pure physical response. It's, it's pretty neat. I like it a lot too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And even the Ramones, like he loves the Ramones. And I was uh, listening to them. He was like clapping at the end of the songs. It was, and I'm not making that up. Like I swear it's, it's Dude, really cool. That's so funny. Sorry, I was gonna say that's so funny that you say that because my daughter's the same way. She doesn't clap like that's really cool that he does that, but she perks up when I play the Ramones. They, they, she loves them. It's interesting. They got to do one of these things like Ramones for Babies albums. Like, you know how Dude, they have. I'm, I'm there for that. Yeah, man, and I love uh, <laughs> again. Just one more quick aside. I love the picture of, uh, of uh, your daughter. I won't say her name on there. Just that's more your thing. But I love the picture of her with, um, with the album, the Ramones album. <laughs> I gotta get an updated picture, but yeah, I was really psyched that day when she she almost pointed at it or whatever she did. It was cool. Well, the funny thing was, I tried to replicate that because I was watching, um, oh boy, Forced Vengeance, the Chuck Norris film, and I had the VHS box out, <laughs> and my son picked it up and was looking at. It. I'm like, I, I ran to get my phone so I could take a picture of it, and he put it down. I was like, no, just hold it and look at it, and he just, it was like I didn't, I didn't get the lightning in a bottle. It was done. Yeah, it's I because I totally forced those pictures of my daughter, and so I got lucky on a couple of them. <laughs> I've done that with her a lot. Like I, I have a picture of her with my copy of the Guide for the Film Fanatic, which is one of my favorite film books, and it actually kind of looks like she's reading it, but you know it was totally staged. So I do a lot of staged photos with her, and you know little props that I like or think are interesting. No, no, for sure, but that's good, man. I mean, that's that's what you know we try to do too. So, but uh, yeah, so as much as we love the baby talk, um, we will uh, jump into some film talk here. Uh, next film is one that's kind of got built up a bit of a reputation uh, on this show. I, I've been championing it ever since Loaf way back, 
covered it on his blog and, and I had to check it out. It just looked too good to pass up. And I'd first seen it, I don't know, maybe two, three months ago, something like that. And uh, it immediately captured my heart. So um, I'll kick it over to Loaf. He can synopsize it and go over the particulars and then we'll get into it. All right. Well, um, it's directed by Francisco Guerrero, who I've not heard of before. I don't think I've seen any of his other films, um, unless he did the sequel to this, which I'm not sure. Um, worked only in Mexico, but it says on Internet Movie Database it's from 1980, which I've read conflicting um, information on it because I know they had, like I was saying at the intro, they had trouble, I think, releasing this because of the content. Um, and I think the two movies were filmed around each other, but were actually, yeah, I mean, it even says on Internet, Internet Movie Database that it was released in 1988, even though it was, I guess, completed in 1980. And um, so anyway, the the film is, it's, it's I guess, the synopsis. There's not one on Internet Movie Database, but it's, it's a bike, uh, it's a group of punk bikers who are, the overlying plot is not really not really there. <laughs> they, for most of the movie, they're getting weapons and getting their buddy out of jail and then going to get drugs. And then there's a little bit like kind of at the end with the cop stories. But yes, basically you're going to see bikers doing biker stuff. You'll see cops doing cop stuff, and then they kind of meet up. So, and um, I, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I cut you off. You finish, then I'll. So it no, I was just, you know, that it's just, um, it's it's a sleazy little piece of uh, of filmmaking. Um, you know, it's, there's uh, if it's if if you can imagine it in a in a biker movie, this one probably has it in there. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> it's uh, now I do want to say this film is is almost impossible to find. Um, I am going to get in touch with – you can either email me or I can get in touch with maybe CDB, see if they can – I have a copy of it. I'm willing to, to shoot over to them or if you guys want to email me or I, we can maybe figure something out. I do want people to see this, um, I, it, but it is very hard to find. I mean, like Loaf said last week, it's fan-subbed. It was never meant for uh, American or Canadian or any other country's eyes, I think. But uh, Right, yeah. I mean, if, if it's, it's a VHS in Mexico, which is um, – you know, not subtitled. It's uh, you know, luckily somebody took both of these films and subtitled them. Well, I guess luckily, depending on your point of view. But <laughs> and Wait, I so, want to. So, it... <clears throat> so I just want to thank the fan subber. So anyway, uh, go ahead. Yeah, Lola. no, that's. I, I think that's amazing that they somebody fan subbed the whole movie. Um, I was gonna say, Alex. Now, so it probably didn't play in the states. I'm even almost with, certain without... it did not. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like. Even without subtitles, it could in certain venues it could play, um, you know, without people necessarily needing to know what was going on, you know, because there's not a whole lot of plot, like no, you said. No. Yeah, I'm almost certain it did not play in the United States, unless it was like you know <clears throat> snuck up in Texas or whatever. Yeah, L.A. or Texas maybe or something. Yeah, it might have had an audience there. And honestly, I mean, it is a movie. You don't really the need- the, the sub the subtitles have lend some. Uh, humorous elements at times but you'll know what's going on just by just by watching it because it's not there's nothing in depth going on in the story no <clears throat> so anyway uh, if you guys want i'd like to hear what you guys like uh thought about it i think bry should uh like i said to you i'd like to defer <laughs> to you guys first so let's uh let's see um, what i thought about this one 
Well, I didn't. I didn't have a whole lot of notes on this one, so my my <laughs> sort of take is going to be pretty short. But um, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a wild movie. I mean, uh, I uh, I think the opening is really fantastic. I think it really kicks it off. I think that's something that's a movie. If it doesn't open well, I think it's hard to recover from that. And uh, this movie has a great robbery scene. Um, you know, with some great you know fan sub dialogue there that that is. There's some good little bits, and I can't remember. There's a line where one of the one of the robbers is telling somebody to, to not try their patience because they're they're in a bad mood. Or what are they? Do you guys remember what they? What I she don't says? remember the line. I don't remember. It's good. <laughs> it was something that was kind of funny. It was just like, "Don't mess with me." I can't remember. But anyway, you, you know, creatively, I think they certainly blew their load in the first <laughs> in the first little opening scene there. The yeah, first twenty that, minutes, I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's that's what I would say for me personally. The film suffers a little bit in that um, it really get kicks it off really well, and I was just like, oh man, this is gonna be great. And then, <clears throat> to be honest, and this is gonna sound really stupid, but I felt like it devolves into there's too many sex scenes in the movie. That sounds really stupid <laughs> to say <laughs> when I say it out loud, but for me, like I like I was I was so um, sort of when when they they have a robbery and then they come back to their camp. And the robbers take their costumes off, and it's just like it's, everybody's, you know. And they're, and they're uh, very unsexy sex scenes too. We got to. Ask. Yes, yes. There's that's nothing true. hot about any there, of this. It's like it's like groping, pawing kind of. The guys, the guys rarely lose clothing. It's always the nude. Was that what made it non-sexy for you? <laughs> <laughs> that is what. That is exactly what. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so all it would be is just a clothed guy like acting like a ten-year-old uh, discovering tits for the first time. <laughs> you know, see, when you put it like that, it sounds it sounds more entertaining to me. Than, <laughs> but you're right; that's totally what it is. Maybe I should but, say yeah. to like thirteen-year-old instead of ten. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but um, but yeah. So I mean, it 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 really gets it going and and gets your blood pumping, and you're like, all right, this is going to be a wild ride. And then I, th- I feel like it slows down, and, and it's in the movie for me stops at a lot of those sex scenes, and it felt like obviously it's an exploitation movie, and I was thinking, well, this could play at almost almost could play at like a porno theater. I mean, it's it's just it's just shy of being obviously hardcore or whatever, but but it's just it had enough sex scenes in it that sl- stopped the movie that I was like, okay, this is not going for the action exploitation audience; it's going for more the sex exploitation audience. Yeah. And I'm I'm a lesser fan of sex exploitation movies than I am of action exploitation. So I kept kind of waiting for there to be more of the stuff at the beginning, and and and, there, and by the end there is. But I gotta say that the climax of the film was not as cool for me as the opening of the film. Um, but but the the D. Snyder lookalike woman um, is very attractive. I have to say, yeah, she, she's she's pretty stunning. So. Um, she definitely keeps your interest and your attention, and and they're they're such a sleazy gang that they just do things that will kind of keep the stakes at a certain point where you don't <laughs> you're just like anybody that encounters them, you're like, oh man, what the hell are they going to do to these people? Yeah, this um, is not going to end well. <laughs> exactly. Just so that that kind of kept me involved too. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's it's very sleazy, um, and the fact that it's in Spanish. Um, I don't know. It 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 gave it this different level of 
sleaziness that um not not more or less but just different than i'm used to and it was it was really interesting uh i have to say definitely a movie i feel like everybody should that's a fan of ggtmc flagship type movies should should check out and the fact that i said there's too many sex scenes i'm sure that will you know draw some (laughs) into checking out the movie so that's probably a recommendation ultimately um but anyway, that's that's sort of my my take on it. Definitely a neat movie, though. I I, I definitely liked it. I, I just before Loaf gets into his thoughts on it, uh, I do want to say, Brad, I, I really think that you kind of hit it on the head, and I think how much you love the aesthetic of the punks and how much you're willing to go with the wash, rinse, repeat of the film is going to determine how much you love the film. I think. You know, really, it is wash, rinse, repeat. I mean, there's the marauding, the the looting, the the come back to base, the sex scene, the marauding. You know, it, it really could be a 30 minute movie. Um, <laughs> you know, you're right, it, it could be, but I think, like I said, a long. How much you love the film is gonna, or, or love what what you know the aesthetic and everything is gonna determine how much you love it before it gets a little bit repetitive for you. Yeah, yeah but I gotta agree, the aesthetic is pretty awesome. They have a great look. You oh, know, yeah. I mean they. They really, I mean, obviously there's no budget for this movie, so you know what they have is is what they were able to pull together, and I think it should be said that the, the, you know that really they're better punks than a lot of you know more production designed, higher budget '80s punks that I've seen in a lot of movies. So I mean, these characters are pretty pretty uh, memorable. Have you ever seen a more colorful and visually interesting group of punks in a film? I, I haven't personally. I don't think I have. Honestly, I think they may may stand out. To be fair, they may stand out as one of the better groups of punks I've ever seen in a movie, you know. Especially so, the the leader guy, huh? Yeah, he's pretty <laughs> awesome. What was his What was his name? What, his name's uh, Tarzan in the movie. Tarzan, yes. But he uh, his real life name is El Fantasma. I don't know. I I don't know that he's ever revealed his true name to the public. <laughs> he is a, he is a he is a wrestler, and he's never been unmasked. That's awesome. Um, but in, the film, but in the film, he's unmasked though a few times. Yeah, well, you don't, you never see his full face. Uh, you see his mouth and like a silhouette, but you never see like his eyes. That's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, Loaf, let's yeah, Loaf. Yeah, look, what do you got to say, Loaf? Okay, I need to see to Loaf. To be fair, and, and well, I need to see this movie one more time. I think because you guys, I think, have seen it more than once, and I think it'll reward a second view. Um, <laughs> you know. Well, um, I said, uh, my first note here, I said, I know a film may be for me when in the first 10 minutes we have biker punks, abrasive music, nuns with machine guns, a car explosion, two sets of tits, and a Mexican bootleg members only jacket. <laughs> oh, that's right. That is awesome. And it's and white, I, no less. It's a white. I knew it was a bootleg because he didn't have the loops on the shoulders. So. Yes. And, and let's not forget about the spray painted credits. I've never seen that in a film before. Oh, that was good. That was good. Again, all part of that opening. That was great. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, the members only jacket was one of the, uh, the, the duo pair of, great cops javier and juan um they uh they throughout the movie are kind of like uh i don't know like you get their story that intersects a little bit with the punks but you know they don't really deal with them until the very end but really all they talk about is hot chicks and and you know they do drug busts and that kind of thing but um then we get the uh La Princesa Leia, which which is a really bizarre name <laughs> to go with, but um, 
I don't know if I like her giant hair or her great tits better. I agree. Uh, Both are magnificent. Her hair is ridiculously large. Like I, I was curious if it was a wig or not at times, but um, the um, you know she's a pretty terrible actress, but she um, she has a certain magnetism though. There's something about her you you'll keep going back. She does kind of look like Dee Snyder, especially with the makeup and hair. Um, when we first get presented with her, uh, this is the first time I watch this movie. Uh, when I watch this for the first time. You know, when when we first get presented to her, to her with all her massive hair glory, I said my dog actually uh, open open mouth growled at the television, <laughs> like an, it was like almost a bark, like he was really angry. Awesome. And there there are some very interesting. You know, the punks do look good, and then there's that there's like a kind of a kingpin guy that the punks get their weapons from. They call him one eye in the movie. I don't know if that was an accurate translation, <laughs> but I guess I should say the princess Leia, her character's name in the movie is Fiera. Does that mean fire? Does that mean fire? No, it means, it means wild beast. They do call her beast in the oh, yeah, in yeah. translation, but it's wild beast is more of a, I guess a closer translation. Um, but yeah, the one eye guy was, He's pretty sleazy too, and I, I was wondering how he saw out of his one swollen, wrinkly eye. <laughs> have the eye patch because he's got an eye patch over one, and the other eye maybe has a pinhole of light that goes through it. <laughs> so he's pretty. I, I loved his uh, his acting 101 session when he's uh, speculating what the punks want their guns for. He's like, well, maybe you want it for this, or maybe you want it for this, and that goes on for a couple minutes. Well, I lo- the one thing about him, he may be a lot of things, but he's not an accessorizer because he rocks a tan-on-tan-on-tan on tan, on tan suit with the silk kerchief from the tie, but then he has like a black eye patch. I mean, he's no Christina Lindbergh, clearly, when it comes to accessorizing the patch. <laughs> that eye patch definitely could have benefited from being white with maybe a rhinestone in the middle. Or cream. Of it. Cream to go with the brown. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> um, in a, there's a scene in the, in the middle of it, and I... It's the one scene where I even thought about any kind of message in this movie. Um, you know, it, it, there's four women sitting around playing cards, and um, I'm not sure what the filmmaker was trying to say, if anything. But these four women are talking about doing being in orgies and uh, you know banging younger guys and stuff. And then as soon as this conversation's over, they're completely obliterated. <laughs> by <laughs> They're talking about how women can do anything men can, and then they're just totally like brutalized for ten minutes. Um, Oh, to a to to music to live music. So, <laughs> yeah, it should be said. It should should be said that the rape and brutalization of these women is literally accompanied by an in-house band that just shows up inexplicably <laughs> in the house to perform. Yeah, that, that's true. That but, is that was a pretty. It almost turned into a music video there. Cause it, it did because the they drummer. even shot it like a music video with giving like the hero oh, moment yeah. to the drummer and you know. The the name of that band actually it was on their drum I, I I sent you some music by the by the guys the three souls in my mind yes. well that's what that was okay that's awesome yeah or L L three or L tri is what they're called now but they um I think they're still around but they uh they've been around since the sixties and I think they usually do like blues rock kind of music but it was definitely a step out and they I'm, I was glad to see they actually went the whole distance and did the mohawk on themselves as well so um. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Oh, there's a great line in that in that scene that we were just talking about when one of the punks says, "Like the you know, uh, Fiera was the you know telling them what to do." And one of the guys like he says, "Don't be cruel, 
can't you see these chicks are hot? We got <laughs> needs and we want to satisfy them. <laughs> <laughs> and the chicks are, I, I will say the chicks are all probably like 50 and not very hot. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I already touched on the, the there are almost two separate storylines going on in the movie. You know, you have the punks doing their thing, all the, all the raping and sleaziness. And then you have the, the cops doing their drug busts and stuff. And, you know, it's like the director realized about halfway through filming, and it wasn't until an hour in of this hour and a half movie that they acknowledge one another. It's like he realized, he's like, oh, shit, I filmed all this stuff. I guess we need to start making this a movie. Yeah, rope it all in now, <laughs> tie it together. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the movie's very sleazy. There's uh, the uh, there's a scene that stood out for me, and I, I will might appreciate this. There's a there's a girl-on-girl girl rape scene. Oh, I loved I have notes on that one. And the the chick the chick looks like Sandra Bernhardt with a colored <laughs> mohawk. Wow. She does like a beefier uh, Bernhardt. Yeah. And the the you know the last thing I'll really say I really liked the motorcycles. There, there was a very mis like mismatched group of cycles. They weren't, they weren't very punky looking. There were some like you know you see the old dude riding down the road with his matching helmet and motorcycle and the trunks on the back. They had a couple of those, but then they had these ridiculous giant and only in Mexico could you find these like half of a VW bug taken off <laughs> a motorcycle put on the front. Yeah. And I really liked the one car that they had um that uh Tarzan rode around in. The it, it looked like it was kind of like an El Camino, but it was probably like a converted station wagon where the back had been cut off and like they had <laughs> leopard print seats in the back and that was pretty great. And he rode around drinking his Dos Equis and with a rifle. And so, but yeah, he was a pretty entertaining character. I've heard and I've heard somewhere and I couldn't find it again, that he's kind of a dick in real life. Um, he's got some, he's got a son that wrestles now. El Hijo de Fantasma. His, his look in the wrestling world is totally ripped off from the Phantom comic. Nice. Uh, his mask looks identical. And, um, I don't think he was ever like a standout. He wasn't a wrestler for very long. He started wrestling in the late seventies. It was probably done by the early nineties, but, um, he, uh, he did pull out some great wrestling moves, which I was very excited about in the movie. Whenever that happens, I'm, I always kind of mark out a little to use a wrestling term, but he actually hits a guy with a tombstone pile driver. Yes. <laughs> that was pretty good. It, was pretty yeah, good. Um, it, it wasn't just punching or kicking. He, he body slammed and piled roofs. So. Didn't he do a flying forearm off the hood of the car too? Uh, there is possible. Yeah, he did. He did. Uh, you could definitely tell he was a beefy wrestler from the way he moved around. And his and I got I got to do say I I do have to say his mask was really hilarious in the movie. Uh, his like dangly chainmail studded mask. Yeah. Um, wasn't really a wrestling mask in the movie, but. He has a, he has some funny masks in the next movie too. So he even wears like the big like KKK looking hat. Oh and, my uh, god! He's because they're the punks are Satanists in the next movie. I have to say that too. So yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll I'll, I'd like to hear what you have to say too. Okay, well you guys have definitely covered some good stuff. Um, I'm gonna try to keep this short to keep you know keep it bottled here. Um, anyone who's seen Darktown Strutters, I think will will kind of know what they're in for from an aesthetic standpoint with the biker gang. It's 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 like nothing you've ever seen. I mean, the punks and everything is turned up to eleven. It's like it's like if um, 
anime was done in Mexico and they were making a Mad Max film or something. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, they're like the, you know what? They're like the, um, they're like all the bad guys at the beginning of the Fist of the North Star. Anime. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's really wild stuff. Like, like you said, the, the bike where the ass end of a VW is the back of the bike. There's the one bike. It's like a hot pink bike, like motorcycle helmet. It's like a chopper. Like, I, these bikes are really a sight to behold. I mean, there's some really fantastic stuff that I've never even seen before, and uh, it looked really, really good. Uh, them. It was cool seeing them do wheelies on those giant bikes. Too. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, that that scene is just ridiculous. Like they're having like a uh, gladiator fights with balls and chains to see who's gonna get the hottest chick for the night. <laughs> well, yeah, I wrote a note on that. I put chivalry isn't dead. It just involves pit fighting with homemade chained weapons for the hand of a fair maiden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh you know to get the pit fighting and stuff it's pretty fantastic but yeah i mean you said it i mean her hair is really something to behold man it, it's it's i just i can't believe it's even possible to get your hair this voluminous <laughs> so much hair man it's just insane um there's a lot of car exploitation i mean this really hits on a lot of the ggtmc notes rape eye patches car explosions yeah. uh it just really hits on members only jackets, mustaches. It it just hits on a lot of the key points. Um there's a lot of mustaches in this film. Everyone it seems has a mustache except uh Tarzan. Yeah, that's a I think that's a Mexican fashion, especially for the time. I think a lot of guys ended up with those. And the as far as the car explosions, I think that's a good sign of a low budget movie when the when a car drives off a cliff and explodes in midair. Oh yeah. Just, just from being shot on in the tire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. And then it goes off that canyon, and it just yeah, was up. Um, and there it is, folks, at 20 minutes and 32 seconds. The matron saint of Aquanet and Maybelline reveals her greatest asset. Oh, she, you know, there's a little scene at the beginning. She's one, yeah, of, she, she's one of the nuns, and she undresses real quick. There's oh, a, the other chick. There's another chick in there with another nice set of cans. The Olga Rios is her name. Oh, the one um, with the black hair? Yeah, she's yeah. a little she's a little thicker, but you get to see a lot of her in the next movie. But um, yeah, she was uh, she was showing the goods too. There. Yeah, that's, she got like a spider web. There's a lot of spider web motifs uh, in the makeup and stuff. It's pretty good. Um, I love. There's a moment when uh, Princessa is is undercover and she's going door to door as a seductress makeup. Uh, Line salesman. <clears throat> I mean, I've never seen a pirate shirt with a silk ascot looking so good. <laughs> That's how you know. I think at her, that point her hair is real because it's not teased out as much. It's down, but it's just it's still so thick and just you know even when she tries to tame it, man, it, it's just you can't. Um, we talked about yeah, just the the punks, the overall aesthetic of them, like the the handlebar mustaches and purple poodle kind of mohawks and. It just, it really, it, it never gets old to see because it's just so colorful. It, it's insane. Um, so yeah, I mean, we talked about how a lot of times after they'd go back and they'd do some marauding, they'd come back to their, their, uh, their, their. I was gonna say campground. Their, um, their basically their their base or their fort. It was like in, in this kind of, uh, I guess, in a forest or something, but. Really, I mean, who needs TV when you have a high priestess doing interpretive dance over, over an open flame wearing white chiffon with leather and studs while bongos and a distorted electric guitar wails? I mean, I don't need HBO when I got that. You know, it's uh, it's pretty fantastic. Um, 
guys talked about the love making scenes, which inexplicably, despite a lot of the the kind of punky sounding stuff, the love making scenes always feature these kind of bluesy instrumental versions of the song "Something He Can Feel" by Curtis Mayfield. <laughs> you know, I read that that, that band L Three they they became known for covering English like American rock songs and only started doing Mexican because they wanted their fans to know they wanted their fans to understand the lyrics. Yeah. Um, so if Eric Will could have been like that, a cover of that song. Yeah. Aretha Franklin did the song. I know Mayfield wrote it. Um, and then En Vogue actually did it in the nineties. It just, it sounds like <laughs> that. It's just really bizarre. Um, in addition to a lot of breasts, it seems that Guerrero seems to have an obsession with women's heels. It's just kind of bizarre. The cops in this we talked about, they're pretty milquetoast. They're they're not interesting in any way, shape, or form, despite members-only jackets and mustaches. This film, I think, would have really been one for the ages if if you make it 15 minutes longer, okay, and you get it in slightly better hands in terms of directing, and you make the cops Tomas Milian and Klaus Kinski. (laughs) that might have been my favorite film ever made in that case see the problem is the the punks are so dominant from a visual standpoint and their exploits that the cops just seem lame so you got to get some actors that because they're not going to have the costumes that can really eat it up on camera and Milian and Kinski uh, I think could have done that so I think so too they I I don't know that Kinski could uh, Kinski could speak uh speak Spanish, but I imagine uh, I imagine Tomas Milian does a good job. Oh yeah, well he's he's Cuban originally, so yeah, yeah he could do it. Um, yeah. Sorry, Bry. I was gonna say that <clears throat> that movie that you've come up with sounds pretty stunning. <laughs> yeah, it sounds pretty awesome. You guys talked about the mohawked kind of bull dikey chick, and I love that she she tries to get the scissors sister action on, and then she gets like bumped out of the way. She got this, <laughs> like, like you're wasting our time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's just, she's just furious about it. It's funny. Um, there's a dude set on fire in this film, and he's really on fire. Like, there's no ski mask suit or anything like that. Like, this that poor guy. Being, he's on, he was on fire for a long time, too. He was on fire. I'm like, this man's being burnt alive in front of my eyes. Like, it's kind of insane. Um, I love when we see our warrior princess kind of victorious, wind blowing in her hair when she's standing up as... Tarzan's convertibles driving down the street. <laughs> I want to make that into a, a GIF. It's just fantastic, you know. And it should be said. I mean, no one rocks a leather-studded thong like her, man. It's it's really good stuff. Um, I was gonna say real quick. Well, there's there's a shot of them in the convertible or whatever it is, and it's shot in such a way that the first time I saw it, I thought it was like a mistake, like they were being towed. Um, <laughs> It looks like they're floating through the air because you can't fully see what vehicle they're in because yeah, yeah. it's so, so – so I was like, are they being towed and they just didn't put the camera in the right place so you could see the vehicle? <laughs> and it, but it was a really cool effect. And when I backed it up, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. They showed a shot of a car right before that or something. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway. No, I know exactly. I know the, I know the part you mean. Um, it's it's weird that two weeks in a row we get inept nunchucks from some, from a from a character. <laughs> How does that happen? <laughs> it's awesome. And then the cherry on that, in terms of uh, Asian weaponry, is we get ninja stars in this film. Oh, those are great. 
you know, I think they were, I th- that one cop almost took one. They, they, that was like not a special effect. Like somebody really <laughs> threw that. The cop standing there with his gun, and all of a sudden a star is like, you know, right next to his head. Yeah, the the shuriken just you know flies. Yeah, just right beside him, like a foot away. Um, and they had, they decide that they're gonna up the ante. You know, Australians are known for using people as hood ornaments. In in Mexico and in Mex exploitation movies, they knew, use not one but two people as hood ornaments on the same car. <laughs> so it's pretty fantastic. Those are actually all my notes. Uh, I got okay, so I'll kick it back over to Bri for make your breaks and all that. Um. Well, I gotta say, well, I like the um, Darktown Strutters uh, parallel. That's a pretty apt. I mean, although I think Darktown Strutters is actually a little bit weirder. As as crazy as that sounds. Yeah, which is uh, also it should be said is on our roadmap too. So. No, yeah, that's very cool. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a really – I think, like you say, anybody that's seen Darktown Strutters kind of gets a sense of what they're in for. Um, yeah, you know what? I, I really need to give another look because, I mean, you, you guys point out a lot of stuff that um, that I, I noticed but that didn't stand out at the time. But I know that are things that I totally appeal to me and make for an interesting movie. <laughs> um, so, anyway, I, I think um, – let's see, my make or break – it's got to be the punks, like you were saying, Will, and, and I agree with you, that they're probably the best punks I've ever seen in a movie, um, and that definitely says something. Um, so those guys are pretty pretty outstanding. Great look, especially considering what, what – I wonder what the budget of this movie was. It couldn't have been too much, you know. No. And the other thing I was going to ask you, Alex, is – so they made the, sequels almost, the sequel almost back-to-back. Um, how could they have known how successful this movie would be, or did they just kind of go – we're going to make another one anyway. Kind I'm of thing. pretty sure they were just filmed at the same time, regardless of the success. And I mean, if you get into these Mexican exploitation movies at all, you, you can see like they might've been, it might've even been successful there. Who knows? It's, oh, I could uh, see it being successful, you know, for what, for an exploitation movie. That's why I was just curious about that. Biz- really? Also, they make some really bizarre movies. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I would not be surprised if they just filmed them both at the same time. I mean, the lead actor is the same. The guy that plays Juan, he's in it again, and uh, he looks exactly. He does not look like he's aged, really. Wow. No, that's cool. I, I'm definitely interested in if there are more crazy Mexican movies like this. I, I'm curious about them, so you might have to give me some recommendations. Well, yeah, the one we talked about in a, a, a El Villador Infernal, the hellish rapist, is. <laughs> we talked about it off the off recording, but I've actually suggested that um, that Cinema Diabolica cover it too. But that might it might be the the most like sleazy one that I've seen. Um, <laughs> back in October on my blog, I did I watched one exploitation movie a day and reviewed it <laughs> for the whole month, and uh, awesome. I closed the month with that. And then this really bizarre movie Santa Claus, which is a children's movie, which was pretty brutal. But yeah, the uh, the hellish rapist is. That, that one's up there as far as trashy that I've seen. But and that's got Princess Leia in it too, right? She's not a major Princess. role, but yes, she does make an appearance in it. And her hair is also pretty huge in that one too. Yeah, I was going to say she is definitely my MVT for the movie. Um, she's just – she's really captivating in a certain way. Whenever she's on screen, you know, naked or not, uh, there's just something about her, the look of her and the way she delivers the dialogue. And, you know, she's she's scary and, and, and sort of – I, I don't know how to put it. Um, like I said, just sort of mesmerizing. She's um, sexy in a really unconventional way. Like, I love her, and I don't know why, because she's not conventionally beautiful. 
Well, I was telling my wife about the D Snyder thing last night, and she's like, oh, so she's really unattractive? <laughs> I was like, well, no, she's not really I, I don't know how to describe it she just sort of resembles him you know she's, I mean? she's like a she's like a six from the neck up and like a 10 from the neck down yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is like a what's that what's the cumulative score there like eight i guess it's <laughs> yeah. you know it's but i mean i think what it is uh bry is that it's the really exaggerated blue eyeshadow and the really blonde big hair i think that's the the d snyder thing right it's and absolutely and she stands out in the movie she does not look like you know when you we, when you say Mexican actor, you don't think of a tall, like slim blonde chick, you know? No, it's she, true. She stands out in the movie, and like, well, I mean, I guess I can just go into mine. That, or you, sorry, you didn't oh, no. see your score. Go ahead. Uh, I'm gonna give it a seven out of ten, but I'm pretty sure it'll probably go up the next time I see it. Um, but like I said, I sort of went through my problems with it, and that's the only thing that holds the movie back from a higher grade. But, um, I mean, there's a whole lot to recommend here, so I don't want to make that score sound like uh, people shouldn't see the movie. They need to They need to see the movie, for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, like, well, like I was saying, I was going to jump in. Like, my uh, MVT was also um, Princess L.A. or the, the Wild Beast, um, <laughs> because she does stand out. I mean, she's not the best actress, obviously, but, um, you know, even in a bad striped suit, she's still something really... Uh, <laughs> mesmerizing about her and you know and if you know we've at least me and will have looked up more information about her information <laughs> quote unquote and, uh, she's intriguing there too to say the least but um my make or break was the uh i don't know it's probably bad to say it, the the giant rape scene with the music um, with the three-piece really, band in the living room <laughs> it really encapsulates the absurdity of the movie i think yeah i agree it does it's it's um obviously a make for me, but the, um, I don't know, it's just so ridiculous and random and really a good, like sign of how exploitative the movie is. is that a word exploitative? The movie is exploitative. Um, my score, when I originally reviewed it, I get, I think I averaged out because it's not a very well-made movie. Um, it's probably like a four is if you want to go technical, but, as far as my enjoying it, I'd say I gave it an 8.5 out of 10. Um, it's uh, It was probably more fun the second time I watched it. There's some funny lines, and it's it's a really, really cheap movie that just – you'll laugh at a lot of the weird shortcomings and over-the-top nature of it. So, But, yeah. she And, and just to, to get onto the, the princesa for a moment, she's almost like – the female Hispanic equivalent of Rudy Ray Moore in that it's just through sheer <laughs> will and some inexplicable magnetism that you're just drawn to her, you know, cause Rudy Ray Moore is, is very charismatic, but he's not by any means a good actor, but you love seeing him. He's a presence. He has presence. Yeah. I think that's a really apt thing too. I think this, you could compare this it to a Rudy Ray Moore kind of on terms, in terms of the budget and in terms of some of the outlandish stuff that happens. I don't think it's as, well, you know what? In some ways, it's it's more entertaining than a lot of Rudy Ray Moore movies, but um, th- he's another one to throw into the mix as far as like what this is like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, what made it for me, my make or break, it's just the scenes with the punks. Again, despite the repetitive uh, formula of the film, it, it just it, they're so visually interesting with their makeup and their hair and their outfits and their bikes and their antics that. I just I always found something to to kind of 
marvel at it, you know, and that's what really made it for me. If th- if this had been about a gang of normal looking bikers with like leather vests and shit, I wouldn't, I would have probably not liked liked the film very much. It would have been average, you know. And it, you know, I, I guess I should have said this before. The for me the the fact that it's it takes place in Mexico and it it is something that could only be a Mexican movie is I really like the. Mexican sensibility and the the aesthetic of it. Uh, it's like, you know, if this was an American movie, I wouldn't like it nearly as much. You're right. You nailed it. It's like when we talk about films being very distinctly Japanese or very Italian. It, you're right. It's very Mexican, and that sensibility, I think, is, is one of the big allures because it's just it's so unlike a lot of stuff, almost anything we see over here. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I just I love I the do, fact yeah. that, that this was almost – you know, it wasn't meant to be seen by us in a sense. Like it's never been subtitled, and you know, but we kind of snuck in the back door with you know a friend that could subtitle it for us. Not a friend literally, but you know, in the figurative yeah, sense. Yeah. Um, but my MVT is 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 I don't as much as I want to say just La Princesa. I want to say her and friends because again, just the whole gang of them, just really fascinating and, and great fun to look at. My score for the film is an eight point two five out of ten. Um, I said when I first briefly talked about this film in the opening segment of uh, whatever episode it was that it's almost like this really divey, dirty, disgusting Mexican restaurant in town that somehow, some way, even though you know the food's grungy, it tastes fantastic. <laughs> you know, it's like the waitress, you know, she slept with her makeup on and gets up the next morning and you can see like the caked eyeliner and stuff. And But it just she's, she's kind of attractive and the food's still great and you don't know what, quite why. And I think that's kind of... You know the culinary. Uh, it's the it's the taco truck that you get that you know is going to give you diarrhea. <laughs> but you eat it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but you dive in anyway. You know, it's uh, it's really fun. And, and I'm, Rupa, I'm glad that you said kind of a a flagship movie because I really feel like this is. I wish Sammy had have been here to review this one with us too, and we could have done a round table because absolutely. You know, the dialogue, whenever you get a film like this, that's so outlandish. You know, and just I think it's it's kind of it it, it has also that that. Um, sort of like that that Raiders of Atlantis type feel too, where it's just like this rompy kind of dumb and fun feel to it. Oh yeah. You know, there's no pretension with this film. You know, but uh, yeah. So that's my score. Uh, those are our scores. And uh, I think unless you guys want to add anything else, we're gonna take a short break and come back with uh, some a small amount of feedback. That's it for me. Okay. Yeah, I just I, I I just wanted to say real quick. Well, like you said, this one I think should go into the pantheon of. GGTMC films with the stabilizer and Raiders of Atlantis. And, you know, I think this is one people that need really need to see, like I said, even though I, I had my problems with it, it's, it's such a great signature GGTMC kind of movie. Um, but uh, anyway, I'll shut up and take a break. No, that's good. No, for sure. That's awesome. So yes, uh, we will be right back. Cinema Diabolica is a different kind of underground and horror cult movie show. Completely different. Check it out for yourself at cinemadiabolica.com.
All right, so here we are. It's time for feedback. Uh, we're a little light this week on feedback, uh, I would presume, due to Fourth of July, etc. Um, so, in any event, we're going to get into our first uh, voicemail. Our first voicemail is from friend of the show Tom of Better in the Dark, and uh, here's the first voicemail. I don't know who I'm going to be addressing this week. It's Tom D. Jim, Better in the Dark out of Brooklyn. Um, just loved the show this week. Loved the Misses a Gift. Uh, it, there must be something in the air because we're doing an episode that's going to be released by the time this you hear this voicemail uh, about the Marx Brothers. Uh, but I think it's one of these things that people are so ingrained in not wanting to see anything prior to 1980 or uh, the year they were born, that they don't want to consider all this great absurdist humor that's out there from people like uh, W.C. Fields and the Marx Brothers and the like. Um, but the thing I really loved was, of course, your discussion of Ms. 45. A great film, a film I absolutely adored, a film that I wonder why Abel Ferrara in all his uh, – crazy assholery, and I respect him so much for being a crazy asshole, um, didn't uh, go up to Eon Productions and kick Cubby Bercoli's ass for ripping off the Ms. 45 poster for the poster for For Your Eyes Only myself. I don't understand why that didn't happen, but um, it's a great film. Uh, I was, and I got such a crush on Zoe Lund when I saw it in the theaters way back when, um, and if you want to see a uh, example of her acting when she's actually speaking, take a look at a film called Special Effects. This was made a couple of years after Ms. 45. This was in uh, written and directed by Larry Cohen during one of these times where he got kind of like disgruntled by quote unquote big independent pictures and went off and did a pair of films back to back totally by himself, absolutely 100% uh, financed by himself. This one and a film called Perfect Strangers. And this is really cool. It, it's Eric Bogosian playing a very thinly, kind of veiled Oliver Stoney type, which is pretty funny considering that a couple of years later, Stone would start screaming that he discovered Eric Bogosian. Fuck you, Eric. I mean, fuck you, Oliver Stone. Um, playing, you know, this director who had a big, massive flop and inadvertently kills an actress while he's filming it, and then has this plan of finding someone who looks kind of sort of like her, dress her up as the first actress, and then insert the murder into his next movie. It is a bizarre, strange suspenseful, but what do you expect from Larry Cohen? And... Zoe looks absolutely gorgeous. I always thought, though, that she looked more like a, uh, an Arquette than a Hemingway, although I could kind of see where that comes from. Uh, but, yeah, I love Ferrara. I respect him for the fact that he just does whatever the fuck he wants and screw the lot of yous, whether you like it or not. In fact, I think that he was totally taken aback by the success of King of New York. I don't think he expected anybody... I don't think he expects anybody to care more than five minutes about any of the movies he makes. He makes them for himself, and that's all that really matters. That's why we have things like The Gift, which is shot in a foreign language, even though it's an American movie. I love his work. I love the fact that I don't know what I'm going to get every couple of years from him. 
And I love the fact that you guys spend so much time talking about him and this seminal work of his. So, man, keep up the good work. Um, and I hope to hear from you again soon, all right? Peace. All right. So, uh, Tom, um, yeah, I mean, you bring up a lot of good points. Uh, people do tend to resist old comedy or films, and something Bry talked about in his interview with Zach and a few other people, and I think it's something we all talk about, and I think it's... Uh, it's a shame, you know, that a lot of people do because there's. I think it's unfair to dismiss, you know, 80 years or 90 years of, of cinema or even 100 years of cinema prior to, you know, modern times. There's a lot of good to be had there, but you know, some people don't look at film the way a lot of us do, and they're just content with um, fast food, so to speak. They, they, you know, they don't care about uh, influences or, or anything like that. It's just more about entertainment than, than anything else. So, you know, so be it. Uh, different strokes for different folks. Uh, as for Ferrera, I knew you'd appreciate the Ferrera talk. Um, you know, you being a New York guy and all. Um, you mentioned um, uh, the movie uh, Special Effects. I actually grabbed it right recently. I'd heard of it, but never seen it. Uh, I love Larry Cohen, uh, so... Okay. You know, I'm keen to see that. I'll let you know what I think, obviously, when I do see it. Uh, as for the Arquette uh, thing, I could see that with Lund, absolutely. Um, and as always, thanks for the kind words. You know, we really, really, really appreciate it, Tom. Yeah, yeah. I was – sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to agree with you, Will, about the um, – obviously, the older films and whatnot. But it's it's too bad about the comedies because I feel like – and this is not to tout 30s comedies too much, but I almost feel like we've started – to devolve from that point, although there were obviously some great comedies in the 40s and 50s and 60s even, um, and, and beyond. But, you know, like, now I feel like comedies are just really not sophisticated in the way that they were back then. And I, I, I think people who are into sophisticated cinema, and I feel like that's a lot of people, um, could really stand to check out more older stuff for that reason, um, because it is so so well constructed and well written in a lot of t a lot of cases and um i was gonna say i've been meaning to see special effects for a really long time too i remember seeing a vhs of it i went through a big larry cohen phase you know many many years ago and i always meant to get to it and i never did um so i, I totally gotta check that out especially with the bogosian thing because I, I like him a lot from uh talk radio i think that's a really interesting film me too um so anyway that's all i got on that well, the, yeah, I was going to say what it made what what the beginning of the voicemail made me think of a couple of weeks ago in the uh, the theater. We have a high school right across the street, and um, these this group of kids came in, and they asked me. He said, he said, well, we see we know you show like European movies here, but do you ever show real movies? What? <laughs> and I said, well, I said, well, I mean, I guess that's your depend. That depends on your opinion of what a real movie is. It's like we don't typically show like, uh, like you know Harry Potter and stuff here. But I said we did show Clash of the Titans. We say, are you do you have Clash of the Titans? I'm like, no, sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, I said I said we well, don't only show European. I mean, you know, so I explained to him that whole thing. But it kind of reminded me of that. So, you know, it's sad. Definitely a younger generation, but they <sighs> referring to a European movie as a I guess a fake movie. I don't know. Um. And yeah, about Larry Cohen, it's, I've I've not seen a lot of his films. Uh, Black Caesar and Hell Up in Harlem are two that I've had for a long time that I really need to get to. Oh yeah, um, good stuff. Yeah, the, a friend of mine just watched Black Caesar recently, and I you know three the hard way. I, I love Fred Williamson and pretty much everything, so I, I need to get to those. So, but anyway, yeah, thanks Tom for the voicemail. 
Okay, so the next voicemail, uh, actually the next two voicemails, uh, are from uh, a man that needs no introduction. Uh, West Virginia's native son, the Zom. So uh, here's Zom talking about the uh, Kinski, another madman. Gentlemen, this is Dr. Zom. And I'm calling this week because I have something very important to talk to you about. This is something that needs to be discussed, something that needs to be shared with the rest of the genre cinema world, and that is the movie Black Killer, made in 1971 by some fuckhead named Carlo Crocolo. All right, what drew me to this movie was Klaus Kinski because I like to watch the madman in uh do his thing in any kind of movie. Um he's a just odd bird. I uh, read his bio and the fucker is um nuts. But anyway, so I decided to watch Black Killer. Black Killer is a spaghetti western, and I don't know if there were any good spaghetti westerns made after the 60s, but this one, uh, if it was any indication, they should have buried the genre uh, soon uh, as the 1970s started, because this thing was a piece of shit. Uh, It started out promising because two of the villains... They were brothers. There was a group of brothers, uh, and uh, one of them had uh, had, uh, an outfit, a Mexican kind of crushed velvet red outfit that looked like Shang-Chi, the master of kung fu. And the other one, who was almost kind of like a twin brother, had a green crushed velvet outfit that looked like Danny Rand, a.k.a. Iron Fist. So I thought, holy shit, this is going to be hilarious. It was not hilarious. It was not good at all. Um, Klaus Kinski, um, he kind of had a role where he just kind of walked around and did behind-the-scenes stuff. He had these two big giant books that he carried around, and they had looked like almost like grenade pins on strings on the end of them. Well, of course, the books had guns in them. And which you would think, okay, that sounds like that might be a cool concept too. But it wasn't. It fucking sucked. You could see these big holes in the end of the book. I mean, if anybody was standing there. But anyway, he was he was fine. I mean, you know, it was a shitty script. Uh, but Kinski was not bad. He did, you know, normally he's pretty good and he did a good job. They had this chick in there that looked like Rita Coolidge, who used to be married to Chris Christopherson, and she was constantly just up in her room taking her clothes off. But the the cameraman and the director must have just been giant perverts because, like, if she was changing her clothes, the camera would pan down not like a cameraman should, but like if you were looking at your best friend's mom's tits – and your eyes just wandered, and then they wandered. As soon as they saw you, they went back up. It was like that. It was it was just fucking cheesy and shitty work, you know, horrible work. 
they had some Indian chick who was also not that good looking. It, it, this thing was a fucking mess, and I just want to warn anybody. You can take it as a challenge if you can sit through this fucking turd. But I was 30 minutes into it, and it felt like three hours, and I had an hour and a half to go. I I bailed at 55 minutes and then just kind of fast-forwarded through the rest of it. Anyway, my time is, is probably over anyway, so Zom, what for now? Okay, so... Zom, uh, yes, Kinski is a great madman, but um, you know the sad thing is he did cash a lot of checks. Uh, it's interesting. <laughs> Zom's brought up Iron Fist, I think, two or three weeks in a row, or, or two weeks recently. And it should be said, no one pops a collar like uh, Danny Rand pops a collar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and as for this movie that he's talking about, I, there's. I hope this isn't the Kinski spaghetti western that I've been tracking it down. It's supposed to be almost like a supernatural vibe to it. And I know, um, oh gosh, uh, Cox, uh, Repo Man. Uh, what's his name? Brian, not Brian Cox. Alex uh, Cox. Alex Cox. Cox. I know Alex Cox likes the one I'm thinking of. It's got this kind of supernatural uh, vibe to it. I hope it's not the same one because this one, I, we don't hear Zom swear very often and he's swearing a lot in this. He was really angry about this film. So <laughs> hopefully it's not the same one. But uh, anyway, uh, what would you guys have to think about the Zom and the Kinski talk? Yeah, I saw him complaining about the movie on Facebook uh, <laughs> after he watched it. He said he didn't make it through it. The uh, I, I will I will recommend, it, and it's helped me a few times, especially with the movie 2012. Um, the PlayStation 3 has this great 1.5 fast forward where <laughs> you can still see what's going on. Yeah, you can it, hear the dialogue. Too. You can hear the dialogue and everything, but it, you know you can finish the movie in three fourths the time. So that, it really. <laughs> Well, that's two-hour and forty-five-minute, twenty-twelve. Wow, there. that's so insane. That's like Leone-esque. That that has no business being more than an hour and forty. I don't know if I got like a director's cut or what, but yeah, it was uh, it was def- definitely helpful by the uh, by the last third of the movie when both my wife and I were kind of sick of it. And um, <laughs> Black Killer was on my radar too, but it might be uh, it might be pushed down. <laughs> it might be pushed down quite a bit now. Yeah, and I was tr- I was trying to think of good spaghetti westerns after nineteen seventy, like he was saying. I'm sure I there's feel a like few. You guys covered a, a few that were post 1970, but I yeah, couldn't. Django, uh, not Django. Um, a few of the Django ones that are pretty good are after 1970. Um, Kioma, like Kioma was what I was thinking of. I'm sorry, because I was thinking of Narrow. Kioma's one, and the and the other one with um, the Narrow wannabe, um, the Machete or whatever it's called. Not oh, Machete. Uh, Manaha. Manaha. Yeah, yeah, that's what I really want to see. Yeah, yeah, that one was pretty cool. Yeah. No, there's there's um, some. I'm sure if we sat down and thought about it, or someone who really knows spaghetti westerns could name at least ten after 1970 for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was gonna say, and this is not at all meant to be insulting. I hope Zom doesn't take this this way. But do you guys think Zom sounds at all like Randy Quaid? Because I really, I feel, <laughs> I hear it's Randy Quaid. I, and I mean that in the most complimentary way because I love Randy Quaid. So when I hear Zom now, I kind of, I've been on a tear of movies where Randy Quaid was either a part of them or was the star in the past, like, three months. My son and my wife and I, we keep encountering Randy Quaid keeps popping up. And I just love Randy Quaid. And, and so, like, for whatever reason, I kind of hear that in Zom's voice, and I hope he doesn't he isn't insulted by that. I could hear that. I, I think I think Quaid plays <laughs> up his – I think he's from Texas. Yeah. Uh, but he plays up his the southern parts of his accent quite a bit in a lot of the stuff that he's done. So I could see that, yeah, because you can hear the the southern 
accent in Zom's emails too, or voicemails too. Oh yeah, no, no, for sure. I, uh, I could see it a little bit. I think Zom sounds like a more attractive Randy Quaid, shall we say? Of course, of course. <laughs> Let's not. This shouldn't cast any, uh, any, you know, illusions about. Uh, he <laughs> looking like Randy Quaid. <laughs> so I just looked up Randy Quaid on Internet Movie Database, and I'm sending you guys a link to this photo of him wearing a Miller Lite t-shirt or sweatshirt. It's really funny. Oh, that's it's, awesome. It's, it's he's like in a for anybody. You can oh wow, that's him. incredible! It almost looks like he's holding the uh, the suitcase of Miller Lite, almost like a boombox. <laughs> oh, dude, that is fucking. What the hell is that? Is that that's a, a great an ad photo. that he did? He's where he's like. In a fake like running pose, wearing a light beer like cut off a sleeve cut off sweatshirt, the Bill Belichick uh, holding holding the old style. Speaking of the old packaging, like we were talking about earlier, light beer with a case next to his side and the old like Nike high tops. So it's pretty funny. Dude, is... well, can we post this on the on the Facebook page? Can we yeah, post yeah. it? Yeah, by all means. When you guys go ahead, that was your fine loaf. Why don't you? Uh... Okay, I'll post it up there. That's fantastic. That's awesome because that is a really great picture of him. Anyway, sorry. Um, we can do the next one. um yeah okay so sorry i I spaced out there for a moment i was looking at a picture of the three wolves uh into a microphone (laughs) of all things Uh, because i was trying to find the name of that um that klaus kinski one because i'm now i'm worried that the one i was excited about is going to be a turd um okay let's uh, let's get into the next song voicemail hey gents uh zom one more time uh just wanted to say I'm going to uh, be sending out an email to Cinema Day Bazaar because I need to find a copy of a movie called Nazis von der Tufelkamm, a.k.a. The Devil Strikes at Night or The Devil Came at Night, starring Mario, Mario Adorf and uh, Klaus Holm. Um, I watched this movie the other day and guess what the fucker did not have subtitles it did not have uh dubbing and it looked good it still was good but i need to find this movie aka the devil strikes at night so cinema day bazaar if you're out there you're going to be getting an email from zalm looking for this flick and also, I want to say uh, to uh, Terry Frost at Paleo Cinema, brother, that fucking podcast rocks. And I put it right up there with the Gentleman's Guide. And Terry is a true gentleman in the best of terms and in the worst of terms, which means it's pretty goddamn good. Hang in there, brother. Zomer. Okay, so the good doctor, uh, the devil came at night with the Adorf. Um, yeah, um, hit me up when you have some time, good doctor, uh, or Loaf, uh, or Brian, for that matter. Hit us, hit one of us up. Uh, we, we'll help you out. We'll help you out. Um, yeah, so let's do that. And as far as uh, he mentions Paleo Cinema, which you know will champion until the ends of the earth, I know. You're a listener, Brian. I've heard your voicemails on there. And uh, Loaf, I know you were going to get into the show. Have you had a chance to listen to Paleo Cinema yet? I have not. I just recently even caught up with Outside the Cinema, so I get, I've got I got really behind. So I, yeah, new shows have been out of my radar for a while. It's okay. In time, it gives you a new show to go back to their back catalogs. But no, Terry, oh, yeah. 
wonderful job. And Zom actually called there this week doing a Sammy Davis Jr. impersonation. That was fucking priceless. Man. It was really good. But I remember <laughs> when he was doing it at first, I didn't get a Sammy Davis vibe. I got – who did I think it was? I'm trying to remember now. Randy Quaid. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember who I fucking thought it was. I can't remember now, but – um. But yeah, that, The Devil Came at Night, I mean, that was like a 19, late 50s film with Adorf. Uh, and of course, you know, as we talked about off the air, uh, if it has Adorf, I'll see it. Uh, he's become one of my favorite actors. Uh, I really, really love him. So it'll be interesting to see him in, a, in an early German film. Yeah, that one looks cool. I don't know anything about it, but... <clears throat> yeah, Zom has been pulling out some cool stuff. I <clears throat> definitely never wouldn't have would have come across this one. And <clears throat> I'm also a big... Ador fan, um, certainly from the GGTMC, you guys have turned me on to him. Um, and yeah, I can't praise Paleo Cinema enough. I think Terry does a great, great job. Uh, you know, and uh, everybody that hasn't heard him should should check him out. Um, just covers a lot of cool stuff. I'm a big, big fan. You know, I really need to see that Ador <clears throat> Western that you guys, that you and Sammy will covered uh, before. Deadlock. Deadlock. I need to write that down. It's a bizarre film. I'm going to forewarn you. It's not conventional. It's a really weird, almost has like a like a lynchy. I don't know. It, it's a weird, weird film, man. But it, it's cool, though. It's very cool. Oh, I'm sure it's fine. I, I, I just remember you guys talking about how dusty and dirty it was, and that's yeah. kind of like stuck in my brain ever since. Yeah, because yeah. Adolf's character's name is Charles Dump. <laughs> so it's like a feels kind of it's kind of but it would yeah, be called yeah. but don't pay yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly um but yeah that's all of our feedback this week so let's get into our pleasantries uh, and whatnot thanks again for that guys um check out our sister shows and you know what uh i wanted to mention this in the beginning of the episode and i didn't and i feel terrible for not doing so i'll mention it now and hopefully they hear this I want to send a really, really big thank you to M13, uh, she of the podcasting power couple, the 13s, that being Felipe, oop, uh, F13, I should say, uh, of CD and his, uh, his woman, M13. Uh, I put the feeler out uh, for uh, a woman who spoke Spanish to record our intro to the show this week. And she came through in spades uh, with a wonderful thing that you heard in the beginning of the episode. So I want to thank them truly for that it, it was something that i got a great little creative idea that i wanted to see realized and if it wasn't for them i wouldn't have had it realized um uh, although i think tom from better in the dark said his mother spoke spanish but i don't know how that would have worked out getting her to his house to record <laughs> logistical nightmare so again uh, ms 13 mr Th- or mr and mrs 13 thank you very much yes thank you 13s yes, that was absolutely. that was really fucking cool yeah, really super, cool indeed. Super cool. Uh, now, on to, uh, speaking of them, check them out. Uh, they should have an episode up reasonably soon, I would imagine. And our other sister shows, of course, OTC, uh, Show Show. Uh, check out Family Movie Night, Movie Meltdown, Chin Circle vs. Punter. Um, all the pop syndicate shows, the podcast, podcast, etc., uh, etc. Et uh, Paleo Cinema, who we just talked about. Uh, Cinecaltania, Cinerama. Uh, the Metal One, Action Attraction, uh, Better in the Dark with our good friend Tom. Uh, v Cinema, uh, Destroy the Brain, Girls on Film with uh, that's the Rachel and the Girls. Uh, I was just gonna say I've been I've been listening to Girls on Film and, and really digging it. They're doing a, a cool job over there, those guys. Yeah, they are. It's a it's a fantastic uh, concept, and I really have loved hearing what they've been doing as well. Um, 
check out the Glee cast. Looks like they finally get their act together, those lovely ladies. And they put out episode, I think, eight. Uh, and then they're putting out the season finale episode this week. And then I wonder what they're going to do. I think we'd asked them before what they were going to do with their when Glee was off the air. Hopefully they'll get into some some stuff because I, I like hearing them talk. Um, and, of course, uh, the Big Red Podcast, a good friend Alyssa, the usual voice of the show. And um, the podcast that dreaded sundowns coming down the pipe soon from our good friend Mike. So beyond that, we have Paracinema at Paracinema.net, Dylan and Christine. Uh, our favorite NYC couple. Uh, we have NightmareTheater.blip.tv, which is, of course, uh, Mike, our good friend in Florida's TV show. We have HorrorCommentary.com. And blogs. Uh, loaf. We have, of course, PickleLoaf.blogspot.com. The masturbating, beer-spilling cat is gone. It's gone officially. <laughs> yes, thankfully. Uh, we have Roop, which is Rupert Pupkin Speaks. Now, Roop, have you uh, have you done anything I- since the, the noir list, I think it was? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to do the gambling list, hopefully this week. I just went a little crazy at work, so I, I got got behind. But I, I like that idea, so I think I'm going to do that one. And, you know, another film I was thinking of was Cockfighter. <laughs> That's another cool gambling film, in a sense. That's a great movie. I love that movie. So yeah, I love Cockfighter. Um, cool. Yeah, so there's, there's a few <clears throat> ideas for you to check out. Um, of course, check out The Lightning Bug's Lair, Deadly Doll's House. Chuck Norris ate my baby. Matt's doing yeoman's work as usual over there. Uh, Naked Eskimo. This is Quiet Cool. Heavens with a Z. That's Heaven's Trash. Uh, Uncool Cat. Uh, Rach on Film. That's R-A-C-H. And, of course, Dear Bastards or Big Suck Loser for our friend King Mob. Um, Cinema de Bazaar. We keep, I keep saying it, but you know, pretty soon we're going to be getting into uh, a run of their films. It's coming. Uh, Podcast Alley. Send us some votes. We're really low this month, so it'd be nice to get some more votes. iTunes reviews. Still, we haven't had any in quite some time. Uh, if anyone can get over there and do something, write a review, etc. Friend us both on friend us all on Facebook. Join the group on Facebook. There's lots of activity there. Posters, trailers, movie talk, etc. Uh, you can follow Sammy on Twitter, which is gg. Uh, I always say that backwards. Twitter.com backslash GGTMC. You can find Pickleloaf, I believe, is Twitter.com backslash Pickleloaf10, the number 10. Yes, yes. We talked about the rat that took Pickleloaf the name and, and has, of course, <laughs> has squandered the good name. Three weeks in a row. I'm going to get this bastard off of Twitter. You should. <laughs> Everyone tweet him and tell him to give up the name. Uh, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> of course, uh, our good friend Roop has a different name on Twitter. It's Twitter.com backslash Big Bob Freelander. Is that correct? It's just it's just Bob Freelander. Ah, uh, so that, and that's of course B O B F R E E L A N D E R. That's correct. And we have a donate button on the web page. Should you decide you want to throw your chingleros our way, um, email of course m i d n i t e cinema at gmail dot com. Voicemail is two zero six 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 five two zero seven. And again, also check out Funky Sixteen Corners. That's Funky One Six Corners dot Lunarpages dot net for a hot slice of funk and or soul. So that's it. What are we covering next week, boys? It's uh, your picks again, so let's see what uh, what you got coming down the pipes. Well, we, had, we had talked about maybe doing sort of a nostalgia show next week, some 80s picks. Um, I was going to pull out Cloak and Dagger, which is uh, one of my favorites nice. uh, from my youth. Um, and uh, I know that Christine from Paracinema is a big fan of that movie. Um I think her Twitter avatar is actually William Forsythe from that movie right now. Um, it's a great avatar. But, yeah, so that's my pick. And um, mine is a little later in my nostalgic youth. Uh, it is the classic 
arcade game <laughs> come to life. Kurt Russell, Sylvester Stallone, and Tango and Cash. <laughs> Very nice. It'll be Not an arcade game, but pretty much like a video game. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a fantastic episode. We get Dabney, Sylvester and Kurt, and the Forsyth in one episode. Can't wait. Can't beat that. Can't yeah, beat that. That's the winning combination. So, that's what we're covering next week. So, until next week, adios. Adios. Adios.